The following podcast contains adult language and subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. You don't have to be famous to be interesting. You are listening to A Conversation with Albie. This is episode four, John G. Weir Jr. guest on. He is one of my best friends of all time. I love spending time with this guy. He's a great guy. Um, I've grown to love him, and I think you will too once you get to know him. This is Johnny Jr. How you doing, Johnny? Hello. Hi. This is what we like to do on this show. We like to start at the beginning. So I want to find out all about your life before we met. Uh, You were born September 18th, 1969. Where was that? Massachusetts. What part? Saugus. Saugus? Yes. Hmm. Where's that by? Salem. Ooh, like the witches and stuff. Yeah. It's the border of North Salem. Salem, then Saugus. Uh, how long did you live there? Do you remember Massachusetts? 13 years. So, wow. So you grew up as a kid there? Pretty much. What's your earliest memory? Probably, God, I don't know, the day I was born, I remember the doctor dropped me. <laughs> <laughs> and I slipped on the floor. So that's the problem. Yeah, it could have been. It all stems from that. I guess. It might have been. Yeah, I, I don't disbelieve you there. Well, they didn't have gloves back then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So they couldn't catch you right, or they couldn't hold I guess, on you? yeah. And uh, I'm thinking, I don't know, probably living in the projects. Living in the projects? Yeah. You grew up in the projects? Your family uh, didn't have a lot of money? Not very much. I know your dad was in the military, right? In the army, yeah. That would be John G. Weir Sr. Sr. That's right. And uh, your mom's name? Uh, Florence. People call her Flo, or what do they call her? My dad called her Flossie. Aw, that's cute. Yeah, everyone else just called her mom. You got siblings, right? I think so. Two sisters? Oh, sisters, yeah. Yes. I got sisters. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know one of them, Catherine. Yeah. And then the other one's name? Julie. Julie. Yeah. Catherine Marie and Julie Ann. Julie Ann. Tell me, uh, what was it like growing up with uh, a couple of sisters in the projects? Picked on them all the time. You picked on them? Yeah, all the time. (laughs) Drove them crazy. You feel bad about that now? Not so much. (laughs) It was a lot of fun. Yeah? You know, it was all good, you know. I was never mean to them. I hope not anyway. Just picked on them. Yeah. You still loved them. Yeah, I remember it was Kerwin Circle, the project we lived in. I remember my grandmother lived there. Um, she moved in there when they were first built, her and I guess what would be my grandfather at the time, because I never really met him. It was built the year, I guess, after World War II. So when he got out of World War II, I guess they got their first apartment and it was real nice. But, you know, going to the 60s and 70s, it turned it into the projects and it was pretty run down and it was like the ghetto. But I remember it was called Kerwin Circle and growing up there. And my grandmother had a place in there, and my mom had a place with my dad and my sisters. That was probably as far back as I remember. That's nice, the family all living together. As I remember, all I wanted was a big wheel to get around. And I brought it, and I rolled my big wheel to the playground that was in the park, the Kerwin Circle, all in that neighborhood, whatever. And I wasn't paying attention and playing, and some kid stole my big wheel. 
The first day you had it? Probably the first week. And it's pretty bad. You think people steal your 10-speed or steal your car, but there's little kids out there going to steal your big wheel if you don't chain it up in the project. <laughs> Four-year-old kid, I got me a big wheel, I remember, mama. crap, I always wanted one. I finally got one, and it was stolen. You know they make adult-sized big wheels, so now you can buy one that you can ride as I an saw adult. Gallagher had one. Yeah, they make them. Yeah, you order them online. You can get everything online. Yeah. Kerwin Circle, Saugus, Massachusetts. This, I believe, was in, I don't know, I want to say Lynn, Massachusetts. I don't think I lived where I was born. I mean, they took me to the hospital. It was probably... What was your relationship like with your grandmother back then when you were a little kid? Bestest friend I ever had in my life. Really? Yeah. I remember uh, you told me some one time about shopping trips you used to have. Shopping trips? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. When I was little, you know, in Massachusetts, you always had a flannel shirt, a vest, a jacket. You're always dressed warmly. It's New England. Um, take me through the meat aisle or whatever aisle you want just stick packages of meat and jars of caviar and whatever little treats we could find stick it down your shirt and i used to complain it would be the meat would be frozen or cold or <laughs> grandma i'm looking so fat someone's gonna notice and we're both gonna go to jail oh it's all right they don't arrest old people and little kids <laughs> how old were you at the time i don't know six eight nine. Oh, that's funny what was your grandmother's name like Minnie. Minnie. is this the like same the grandmother that lived down here for a while with your parents no. Different grandmother? That was my mom's mom that lived oh. down here. So that was your dad's mom? Charlotte Machad, French-Canadian lady. Spoke French fluently. Really? Yeah. Is that how you got into hockey? Probably. I know my dad liked hockey. Boston Bruins. Took me to a game. The Boston Gardens. Maybe when I was seven, eight years old. Was that it good? What are we drinking tonight? Um, Champipple. <laughs> Pinot Grigio. It's up more. Oh, do I want more? Yes. <laughs> Our producer, sound engineer, slash bartender, Heather, is in the room, making sure Johnny's happy while we mm-hmm. do this. It's a nice Pinot Grigio. It's a good year, 2010. Yeah. That was a good year, I think. Yeah, it was all right. How is it for wine? Yeah, not, not bad. All right. Uh, after uh, Massachusetts, where'd, you, where'd your family head off to? Florida. Really? Sure. Okay. Yeah. What was that like, moving to Florida? Like moving to a different country. Yeah, all together, from the projects to just like Everglades-looking places, right? Yeah, moving down here, there was... I guess the first thing I realized is how they segregated against black people. Down here or up there? Down here. Down here, yeah. Yeah. Up there, black people were the same as white people, the same as whatever race you were. They didn't segregate like they did down here. Like you got your black neighborhoods and your, you know... Sure, up north they have a Chinatown and Italian town, but... There wasn't neighborhoods where just black people lived, you know, down here. The South was a little bit behind the times. Yeah. I think we're pretty good now. So it was rough going to school down here. Southern people weren't very friendly. No. No, if you were from black or from up north, that was it. I guess they just didn't like you. I don't know what it is, What I'm, the word I'm thinking of. Prejudiced? Prejudiced, discriminated. Against people from up north or whatever? Yeah. So I remember when I went down here... My first friend and best friend was black, mm-hmm. and everyone else I hung out with was from Thailand. Anybody that was white would either chase me, hit me, tried to beat me up, you know, made fun of me, whoever I was hanging with, because either you were black, you were foreign, you were a Yankee. You know, it was like kids had the cowboy boots and the belt buckles and the rebel flags, and, and you know. Some of they them were really do. bad like that. It wasn't like, I'm not, I know all of Florida ain't like that, but. Maybe it was just the area I was in or the school I went to. At the time. 
and it was in a black neighborhood, so, you know, with the fence and the barbed wire around it, it looked like a prison camp type that, school. Was that the school, or was that where your family moved? No, that's the school. Okay. That was the middle school I went to. So going school up north to down here was completely different. One story you told me is something about the ice cream. Like, i known you for, how, how long have we known each other? About 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. And uh, for most of that, you didn't eat ice cream. Hmm. Um, mainly, I just don't like ice cream. You don't like it? I don't have a craving for it. It's just, I don't know. But I remember in elementary school, when I was in Massachusetts, we took a field trip. And the field trip was we went to Dairy Queen. And they showed you how they make an ice cream. I didn't want an ice cream. And everyone was making a big deal out of it. I just didn't want it. And I just said, well, I can't have one. I'm allergic to milk. You know, everyone understood. Nobody left me alone. Everyone made a big deal out of it. Center of attention. I'm like, it's the most ridiculous position I've been in. You know, it's bad enough I got to go to school. I got to do what I got to do. I'm trying to do the best I can. But when you're put in a social situation you don't want to be in, and then you they make you do something you don't want to do, it's almost like bullying, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to do the trip. I didn't want to be with these kids. I didn't want to eat the ice cream. I'm very antisocial, keep to myself, even as a kid, you know. Why it sticks out in my mind is because when we were first friends, I didn't know about this. And, you know, me being nice, I don't know if you remember this, I just bought me an ice cream cone because I was pretty fat and I ate ice cream cones. And I just bought you one. And, like, you didn't know what to do. And I held it outside the window for like a half hour. I'm like, yeah. what am I supposed to do with this stupid thing? And it all melted, melted all, all over the my place. hands. <laughs> I don't know why. That was the first ice cream cone I've had in, I don't know since I was in third grade, and I didn't want one then. And here it is 20 years later. I just don't understand why somebody wanted to buy me an ice cream. And then what am I going to do with it? Yeah, but now you eat them to make people Today I bought an ice cream for my roommate and had one myself. Yeah, dipped in chocolate. Yeah. Was it good? It was all right. It's all right. They look good. They look good? Yeah. They're supposed to be fun to eat, but I don't know. (laughs) Not the best time of my life. I'm just eating it. Can't wait to get it done with. My hands are all sticky. I'm like... That was wonderful. <laughs> so you don't like ice cream. What about bubblegum flavored ice cream? Don't hate it. I hate bubblegum. Yeah. Anything. Bubblegum. Yeah. So let's let's go to high school. What was high school like for you? High school? Yeah. Whew. High school. You went to uh, Cape Coral High School? Yeah. Oh, we're out of middle school already? You got anything from middle school? Middle school? Yeah, like I said, my first best friend was black. And to fit in, you have to shave your head. Because I had even long hair as a little kid, and that was a big standout when your skin's pearly white and you got long hair, and, you, and, and you're parking the car with your father, <laughs> you know, and you got these little redneck kids running around, and you really stood out. And It's like, the first thing you got to do is shave your head. So we, I shaved my head, and then everyone called us the Buzzard Buddies. We were the only two kids that would hang out that liked each other, and we both had shaved heads. And then the second year, I became friends with these Taiwanese kids. And I'd go to their house every day, all the time, and we would practice martial arts, um, moves, weapons, just odd things. We'd watch Kung Fu Theater back when it was, you know, practically a live show. And then his mom would make all this Taiwanese food, and one time we had this big bowl, and we all had these bowls, and we sat at this traditional-type table in this whole setting, and the chopsticks, and we're just eating away, and find out we each had our own beef heart (laughs) and it was quite delicious but you know very different and their whole house was decorated 
Asian style and you take your shoes off and they had their Buddha and they put their fruit out in the front yard to feed the gods and you know it was really you know interesting to have his friends and uh, hanging out with these kids the first time I ever skipped school in my life was with my Taiwanese friends and I believe it was in 1983 I can't remember the exact date but they were advertising for weeks ahead of time MTV, music, television, will be on television for the first time. Don't forget to tune in. And it was the very first day I skipped school. It was the very first day MTV was on the air. And they only had three videos. <laughs> we got to see Duran Duran. Her name is Rio, and she's dancing in the sand like 50 times that day. Golden Earring, Twilight Zone's a song, Twilight Zone. You know. Then the Buggles, the, Video Killed the Radio Star. Video Killed the Radio Star, yeah. I was watching that day. Because yeah. I remember, uh, I was younger than you at the time. but I, I would think so, Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still younger than you by a little bit. Yeah. Um, haven't quite caught up to you yet. But I remember watching the test pattern signal for a few days before it was coming on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they just had like the moon man and the I MTV saw the flag very first video, the very first day. Wow. Very first hour. We were like, MTV. Yes. After and that, forget it. We were kind of the MTV generation, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, Generation X, I guess they call us. They used to play skits of uh, Betty Hill on there. The young ones from England. Everything rude, crude. Didn't pay the telly tax. No, no telly. Um, but now they play everything but music. If you want to see a world premiere video, you got to go on YouTube. They had to come out with MTV2 for the music. Now MTV2 is a drama station. Yeah, reality shows or so dramas. So if you want music, you have to buy a CD. I guess. VH1 used to be music after MTV1 and 2 stopped doing it, and then no music on VH1 anymore. Yeah, I remember. So, uh, music, a uh, big part of your life growing up? Yeah. First time I listened to Iron Maiden was in Florida in middle school. 1983, peace of mind. You like Iron Maiden? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. This is, Very uh, much so. it's funny asking you, these, asking you these questions, because I know a lot of the answers, because we spend a lot of time together. I know. Um, yeah, you got me into Iron Maiden, too, which I'm uh, grateful for. And have seen twice. Yeah, I've seen twice, thanks to you, and hopefully again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt, right? March 2013. Even Heather and or April. Last, yeah, April went last time. Yeah, April. No, in April. In April. Enough wine. <laughs> I mean, in April. Yeah. In April. Heather yeah. went. Heather yeah. went. Yeah. So we all went. April's a common name because it's the best cat I ever had in my life. Your favorite cat? Yeah. Maybe not your favorite. Your first. Well, it's hard to say favorite. Bestest favorite? cat. Bestest cat. Lived 21 years. Wow. For a wedding present. All my sister wanted more than anything in the world, my older sister Catherine, was April. I remember that. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. Coincidentally, at the time, it was 96, I believe, and I lived in employee housing, South Seas Plantation, Captiva Island down here in Florida. And, uh, of course, no pets, so I had to find a place to put her. And my sister wanted her, had her for um, 12 years, I want to say. Wow. Yeah. And I had her for about 10. She had her for just about 12. You're very good with animals. I never met April, I don't think. Did I? Did your sister have her at her house in Cape Coral? I think you might have met April. She was pure black Siamese cat. Maybe once. Beautiful. Yes. Green eyes, black fur, very short hair. Her name was April Wine. April Wine. Mm. Yeah. Like the band. You're very good with animals. They're like a big part of your life. Mm, Very much so. Always had pets. So we're out of middle school. 
Thank God. <laughs> Beef hearts. They used to paddle you in, back when I was in middle school. Yeah, this state was really backwards. I remember back sitting when. in the office going, God, I wonder who's going to paddle us today. <laughs> it was either the dean or there's the assistant principal. And I remember the dean was huge. He was big. And he'd take pride. He'd have these fiberglass paddles and try to break them when he's paddled you. And that would take a lot of force. Nowadays, they would go to jail. Would they? Yeah, it's it's illegal. I remember going, wow, that stung real bad. Back then, that was one of my biggest disappointments with the educational system down here is they were 100% focused on discipline and 0% focused on education. Yeah, I didn't learn crap. It was like a prison, not like a school. Yeah. But totally different nowadays. Pretty much. Luckily, they make laws eventually. I can't believe they paddled. And I remember there was a smoking section for students. <laughs> this was middle school. <laughs> That's when you know you went to You're school like 12, a while 13 ago. 13 years old. But I don't think there was, I don't think, literally, I don't think you had to be 18 to buy cigarettes until like the 80s, I want to say. Yeah. Back then it was like, good for you. It didn't matter. Right. I mean, it was shunned upon, but like you, kids can't drink coffee, but there's no laws against oh, I it. I remember buying cigarettes yeah, when I, I'm me too, 13 when I was years old. 15. I remember going to gas station buying Playboys. Yeah, give me the uh, Playboy over there and a pouch of beet nuts chewing tobacco. <laughs> like, I'm 13 years old. <laughs> Whatever. It was a different time back then. You think so? A little bit. Nobody really cared, I guess. Yeah, now, totally different. But, I remember you know. I'd go to liquor store, 12 years old, and my mom wanted me to get some gin. Here you go. <laughs> I would buy a little bottle of gin. You're going to bring that home to your mom, right? Oh, of course, because if I opened it, she'd know. Okay. <laughs> and that worked. Nowadays, it's... Forget about it. Yeah, we ID and the name tags and the... If there's somebody in your car in the parking lot that might be under 21, you can't buy it. Yeah. If there was an age limit back then, it wasn't enforced. I think it might have been 18 back then. I remember saying when cigarettes hit a dollar, we're going to quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember the first time I paid a dollar for cigarettes. I, was I like, can't believe Marlboro's on. are 99 cents because with tax, it's a dollar three, whatever it was. <laughs> now they're what, like eight bucks a pack? God, I don't People know. are like, when they're 10 bucks a pack, I'm quitting. I remember when they were $40 a carton. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be yeah, $4 a pack probably. I guess. Oh, yeah. No, $2 because they're 20 in a carton, I think. 10 in a carton. I haven't smoked in so long, I don't remember. <laughs> I need a smoke. So high school, you were uh, smoking Marlboros, drinking gin, <laughs> chewing beech nut tobacco, uh, had a shaved head. Oh, this was before high school. Oh, this, this is before this is middle, middle school. school. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been doing smack since the third grade. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, All right, fourth. Fourth. That's more like it. Good. So then what happened? In high school? Yeah, let's go, with, let's go to high school. Okay, so we came down here. Cape Coral, probably, I want to say late 83, early 84, started Cape Coral High School. Very first year it opened. Very first high school in Cape Coral. Now we've got 22 high schools, yeah. I think, in Cape Coral. More high schools than McDonald's. I don't know about that. We had about the same? 47 McDonald's, I think. Oh, that's true. Yeah, 183 Publixes. <laughs> <laughs> Walmart, forget it. Yeah, yeah. There's Walmart in every corner, yeah. like a mailbox. Mm-hmm. You just push a button and order whatever you want, and it comes right up. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, first year, Cape Coral High School opened. Um, wasn't very big back then. It was just the main building. Just over 500 people. I remember, no black people. Big controversy. We have to have black people in this school. Mm-hmm. Can't be just white, which I, I'm fine with. You know, that's nothing wrong with that. Black people should be able to enjoy Cape Coral, too. 
Yeah, I remember. It wasn't like segregation. They were allowed to come. It, it was just they didn't live here. They just didn't live here. Right. Yeah. Forced busing, I think, it was the thing that they did back then. Three buses, uh, 50 on each bus, brought 150 in. I remember when I was in high school, 500-something people, all the years I was there, ooh, one girl got pregnant. And now there's a daycare center. Now it's just the thing to do. I'm not saying it's because they bust black people in. <laughs> it could be coincidence. But when I went to high school, nobody was pregnant. Mm-hmm. Nobody carried a pistol, you know. Nobody did coke, crack. You know, there was nothing bad, no pill popping, you know. People might have a couple beers from their dad's garage, occasional doobie. But Cape Coral was a good high school. Not very many people there. But when I went there out of 500, I would say about 400-ish were kind of richy, snobby, preppy, jocks, very into sports, parents wealthy, had boats, lived on a canal, you know, almost entirely. Very small few of us had long hair, listened to heavy metal. We were very segregated. Nobody talked to us. Teachers used to frown upon us, made fun of, point at we felt like we were aliens just because of the type of music we listened to. And in the 80s, if you listen to that music, you're a devil worshiper. You're on drugs, you worship the devil. That's a sign you listen to hard rock music. The kids believed that, the teachers believed that, and they made us feel that. It was horrible. Felt horrible the whole time. Hated high school. Except for being there with my friends. You know, it was, it was a good time. Because it was where you could meet your friends. Because friends came from everywhere. None of us drove. It was where we met. You know, if we didn't meet there, it was always the Edison Mall. Saturday, take the bus. You know, 35 cents, take the bus all day. They accepted pennies. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when yeah. I was a kid dumping a whole yeah. mess of pennies in it's there. only 35 cents. Yeah. It wasn't bad. So if it wasn't school, it was the Edison Mall. And at school, you know, you, you really, the kids didn't like you, the teachers didn't like you. And it kind of made you become the person you are like, Nobody likes me. I'm going to become my own person. I'm going to be against these people. You know, I felt like maybe I didn't want to be with these people. And I was feeling prejudiced against everybody. I didn't like anybody. And if you didn't listen to the music I like, I didn't like you. Because that's the way you made me feel. Like, because this is the person I am, you made me feel like I'm nobody. So therefore, okay, I'll be this person. And then that means you're nobody. I hated everyone, you know, I hated, at that point I hated black people, Chinese people, gay people, just everybody, you know, because that's just how people made me feel. I'm glad I don't feel that way no more. Yeah. I love everybody no matter who anybody is. Same here. And that's the way it should be. Exactly. They make me feel like that, you know, you're, you listen to heavy metal, you're on drugs, you're a devil worshiper. I remember at the time. You're a bad person. Back then this area was overly religious and any heavy metal or hard rock CD or album back then, they'd put in a pile and either burn it or roll it over with a steamroller, and now we're all listening to that music in the elevator, you know, when we're going through some hospital or something. That's why, for example, Iron Maiden didn't come to Florida for 14 years. Can't blame them. Over several tours, they say, we come here, it's just so not worth it. We don't get radio uh, airplay, we get no acknowledgement, we get no commercial advertisement, all we do is either get sued... We get protested. It's just hate mail, and uh, and it's just overwhelming. They say it's horrible. It's it's almost hard coming to the United States because of religious people and 
you know. And Meanwhile, nicest bunch of guys you ever want to meet, ever. None of them do drugs. They're all married, have children, very successful. Nico has a great restaurant. He owns a restaurant. He's also an instructor for professional golfers. The singer himself was an Olympic fencer, uh, pilots the band on his own airplane, was a pilot of British Airways. I remember you had to get a haircut to work for him, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that. They're the most successful, drug-free, family, caring. I mean, they're just phenomenal. They've been around since 1978. They just like to play good rock and roll music, you know? Some heavy metal guitars and drums and They're like, the music we play is just a stage show. It's just for entertainment purposes. People back then hated Kiss, and now they're like on every kid's toy, you know? It's, It's amazing what a few decades will do. But then, you know, after three years in the ninth grade, (laughs) I finally, you know, after being in a school dropout prevention program, Mm -hmm. when the uh, teacher in charge suggested that maybe I should drop out, even though he was in charge of the school dropout prevention program. Do you remember a name? No, I don't remember, but he's like, all I remember was... This is my job to keep you in school, and I can't believe I'm actually asking you, please, please leave school. (laughs) I mean, I would come into school totally rebellious with my spiked wristbands, my long hair, you know, maybe smelling like I shouldn't, Mm. drinking for medicinable purposes, Mm -hmm. using the F word against a teacher, you know. It was just, I don't know, it was... A little unruly as a child. Yeah, it, it it was pretty bad. And being there was only 15 of us like this in all high school, we all ended up going to um, vocational school to finish out our, our high school, which I had done, which is the place where I got my first tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> was in my... Was that one of the classes, tattoo artistry? No, it was for um, uh, VCR repair, <laughs> TV and VCR repair. Good thing I got a diploma on VCR repair. I'm going to make a million bucks nowadays. Very useful now, right? Yeah, very useful now. Uh, okay, my question, my next question is, were you ever able to repair a VCR? No. <laughs> I know you, and technology and you do not no. mix. No. Uh, well, it became, I didn't know there was a written test. I thought I had to fix one, which I successfully, um, with the melting room, Silver uh, stuff in the soldering, soldering a resistor. Yeah, I took one out and put one in. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's how I fixed your TV. I just it, did it, it like it thirteen like times. It worked, but I didn't know there was a written test. Oh, there was Ohm's law, scientific calculation. I said Pfft. the only thing I remember was uh, a guy was Vietnam in the class had a plastic leg. Teacher or student? A student chasing me around the classroom with his leg, threatening <laughs> to beat me to death with his leg. <laughs> As I can outrun him <laughs> in the middle of getting my hand tattooed in class. Which tattoo is that one? The, the one on my finger. The cross on your finger? Yeah. Okay. Needless to say, I didn't pass the class. <laughs> so. Did you ever end up with any sort of diploma or document? Yeah. Um, I ended up getting a GED. I think it stands for Get an Education Dummy. <laughs> but. I have one now. So you got your general equivalency diploma. Yeah, That's and good. a GED. So. <laughs> that works. All right, so then you're finally out of high school. You're out of those guys' hair. Am I out of high school yet? Well, high school, like I said, was good with my friends. We had a band in high school. Oh, what'd you play? Uh, bass guitar. 
because it was easiest to learn. <laughs> you still play? Not so much. I was the worst member of the <laughs> band. I remember the drummer kept teaching me how to keep up on the bass because apparently the bass and the drums follow the same beat. Oh. They, they're in line with each other and keep the beat, and then the guitarist follows what the singer's doing. So it's kind of a... I remember the band's name was Anubis. Anubis. Egyptian god of the dead. Yes. And we did all Iron Maiden remake songs. And we only played once as a band. And I think it was New Year's, 1985, 86. And we played Two Minutes to Midnight, Two Minutes Before Midnight. Oh, that's awesome. How did that feel? I mean, being a rock god for that instant. Hey, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, we were always kind of a band here and there. You know, we played a couple songs here and there, but that was the only time we ever played for people, which was kind of nice. Yeah. But we always, like, hung out and jammed together. That's cool. Played. I remember a guy, Joe Murphy, was in the band, and he played drums, also played saxophone and keyboard. Wow. Yeah, he was really talented. And Brian Richmond played guitar, and I remember he was literally a nutcase. Because after, like a year after that, he went to Lee Mental Health and they wouldn't let him out for like three years. I remember my dad took me to visit him. Ultimately, he ended up being the roommate that I had that you met <laughs> with the... Oh, and he said, can you turn it down a cut in hair? Yeah. And I was yeah. like, really? He just that said that? That was him. He was the guitarist in the band. Cool. We'll, we'll get there, but uh, that's cool to put the face and the name together. Yeah, yeah. He goes, he he goes way back as far as people that I've known. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, he was cool because he was the smartest kid. He was one of those kids that got straight A's no matter what he did. Remembered everything. Really smart. He could play guitar like like he was born with the gift. I mean, he could really play guitar. But I remember through high school, and he was one of the people that set heavy metal people that gave him a bad name. Because all he did, he would work out and he would just like buy these satanic books and read about the devil. And, you know, he, he acted like a devil worshiper, even though he wasn't. He was a false, you know, like... A poser. A poser or whatever, yeah. but it was, yeah, bad. But he was a whiz at everything he did in school, instruments. But he was a jerk. Second biggest jerk I ever met in my life. I seem to remember him being so. Yeah. From what little I saw of him. He wanted to beat up John Larson for using the bathroom. Nobody uses my bathroom. Roar! He should have used his car. <laughs> he was an asshole. But I've just known him for a long, long, long time. Yeah, well, you know what they say. You can't pick your friends. Or can you pick your friends? I'm not sure. Well, you can pick your friends and you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your friend's nose. That's it. So, um, you're out of vocational school. Oh, now I'm out of vocational school. Yes. Yeah, well, I wanted to. I I wanted to go to vocational school because my dream at that time was I'm leaving school, I'm gonna work, and I need to have a, a some kind of degree in electronics, which apparently at that time was the VCR and the television repair. It was a basic electronic because I wanted to work the lights for Iron Maiden. They had at that time a British road crew and an American state road crew. And I figured if I could just tour with Iron Maiden the rest of my life, you know, as an electrician and work with lights. But me and electricity do not mix. Mm -mm. Another childhood memory I remember that I just thought of, I haven't thought of in a million years. I wasn't the easiest kid growing up. My parents had a little trouble with me because I was a little, I don't know, difficult maybe at times. So I remember one year they sent me to some kind of religious camp for the summer and it was on a dairy farm 
Well, they teach you how to live without electricity or, and you live in this camper and you have to get up when the sun comes up and work till the sun goes down. And it was a dairy farm. And I remember how very unsettling it was because I had a fear of cows when I was a kid. I don't know why. <laughs> They're just these big chomping monsters. I mean, when you're in a project, you don't see too many cows. <laughs> Moo, you're like, whoa. Yeah, the cows you see are yeah, on your Big Mac, horrible. right? Did you like it there? The smell was horrible. Hundreds of cows at the break of dawn when you open a barn door up. Holy crap with the smell. It was real bad. I got to see how they made veal. Uh. Yeah, and these poor little cows and I... I cried, and I remember how, how much it hurt my feelings. And, and it was, I remember somehow they had some turkeys come in, and they had them on the conveyor belts, and they tie them up upside down with the bags in the head. And, and I'm like, oh, my God. They got the, like, the sh- propeller from a helicopter chopping their heads off? Oh, I think like it was that? a guy one at a time. Oh, really? Yeah, it was pretty bad. I don't know what made me think about that time, but obviously i must have been something and then my brain just blocked it and said don't think about that yeah so it's hard to eat meat after you see that kind of stuff i don't eat veal myself no i don't either no i don't eat baby anything i try not to eat anything with a face but if i do it better not be a baby speaking of a baby we just got a a baby well yeah (laughs) we're having a baby serenity lynn burge yeah little girl uh our first barren space production offspring But today we found, uh, Heather found a little baby kitten. That's right. And uh, what did we decide the name would be? Wash. Wharf. You, you wanted Wharf. I wanted Curzon 47 Dax. Yeah. And Heather wanted Wash. So we compromised. And, and Berkey wanted... What did want? Q. Q. Frankie wanted Spock. My suggestion is the mother of the cat whose cat should be owed to the person whose life they saved. Spot? Data. No. Heather. Heather. Name the cat Heather? I probably just didn't make any sense. Yeah, that, I know. Yeah, that, I don't think In he'd... other words, not only is she the kitten's mother, she saved the kitten's life. She did. That cat's life and Heather are now the same. And if Heather says wash, that cat should be without a doubt be called wash. I agree with you 100%. And if you want to call it Curzon? Maybe as a nickname. Then you Curzon all you want. <laughs> But as far as Heather's concerned, that cat is Wash. I'm fine with Wash. Which you should be grateful for because it's named after something. From? Firefly. Yes. So I can't so, argue with that, right? I know. Oh, you named a cat after something from my favorite show in the world. <laughs> Canceled after five episodes. Had yeah. a podcast for two years. Ten-year anniversary coming up. Already? Already. Then you get yep. out of here. Ten-year anniversary of the premiere of Firefly. And I was wearing a brown coat shirt today. Yeah, you were. For ten years you've been bothering me with that? Yeah, ten years I've been I bothering mean, you with I, that. I've been enjoying You've been enjoying it for yeah, ten I've been years. Enjoying. Yes. You're very supportive of it. It's a, a good show. It is a yes. good show. Loved Shepherd. Yeah. That's your character, Shepherd Book. My character, Shepherd. Alright, so uh you're you wanted a degree in vocational school so you could go on be the American road crew for Iron Maiden. Oh yeah, at that time it was a dream come true. Because I felt so strongly segregated from everyone in the world because of my music. It really made me focus more on it, you know, and it wasn't because of religion. It wasn't because of devils, and it wasn't because of drugs. It was because I enjoyed the music. It's great music. I really enjoyed it. It made me feel good. Iron Maiden was very talented, and they obviously proved it because they are still a band to this day. So you wanted to pursue your passion and become a roadie. I wanted to do something with music with the band that I liked, and I I wanted to do something with the lights, 
and you ended up getting chased around by a Vietnam vet with one leg trying to hit you with his fake leg. At the time, I'm trying to learn, and I'll never forget that, yeah. I wish I remembered this guy's <laughs> name. You know, if people had cell phone video cameras, that would have been on YouTube back then. If they oh, had sure, it. it would have been on YouTube. As I'm getting a tattoo in the middle of class, <laughs> failing my test, burning televisions up. Yeah, well, if you have to run uh, for your life and get a tattoo at the same time, you're not going to score good on your written yeah, exam. He, I don't remember why he was so mad at me, but he was. Oh, and you know, as a matter of fact, while I was in that school... Not only were we repairing televisions and VCRs, it was also that mission, well, I want to say, what, 87? I'm thinking 89, but probably 87. With the space shuttle went up and blew up. And unfortunately... Challenger? Everyone died on that day. Yeah. The most terrible, dramatic moment, NASA, whatever, when Mm -hmm. the space shuttle went up, blew up, and everyone lost their lives. I remember being in the class... Going, everyone go outside and let's see this. Mm -hmm. And we saw it explode, went in three different pieces, and we didn't understand what happened. Went back in the class, being they were repairing televisions, VCRs. We had TVs everywhere. Broadcasted. I'm guessing you said it was a Challenger. Yeah. Exploded. Kristen McAuliffe, school teacher. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw it with your naked eyes, because we're in Florida here, so. Yeah, I saw it with my naked eyes. Wow. So what was that like? Pretty traumatic, probably, right? We were in shock. We didn't know what it was. We were like, I don't think that wasn't normal or supposed to be. Then we went inside and realized it blew up. We were like, oh, my God. I wonder if everyone's all right, thinking. And then you realize, of course, everyone's not all right. Everyone just died, you know? Yeah. I mean, for us at that generation, that was the first thing that ever happened to us like that. I mean, there had been the Titanic, of course, the Hindenburg. Mm-hmm. I suppose in one point in time in history, it was like me witnessing the Titanic sinking. Yeah. I saw him Traumatic blow up event. and everyone die. And it was right here in Florida. So it wasn't, we saw it live on television. We saw it live in person. So there's the age difference because I was at home from school in New Jersey. So I didn't see it live. I watched it on television and I was in my little feetsy pajamas. So I must have been a little bit younger than you. Oh, yeah, I remember kicking like crazy when they took one first step. On the moon. See, you remember the moon landing? I, I, no, wait a minute. You were born in 1969. No. Yes. Okay. They landed on the moon. Uh-huh. What was it? July? I'm not sure. Or was it August? And it was the summer of 69. That's the song. Right. My mother and father were sitting in front of the television. As soon as they took the first step for mankind, I kicked my mother's stomach. From the inside? From the inside. Wow. So somehow, when man first landed on the moon and took its first step... I did too. Wow. That's an early <laughs> Kind of, sort of, weirdly Yeah, that's weird. pretty cool. And I remember going, mm, this feels weird. You know, like, <laughs> like maybe I'm on the moon yeah. or in the moon. In the moon. You're, you were, you didn't know your universe back then. Yeah. So moon landing, did it happen? My opinion has gone back and forth during my life. You know, I would say there's more controversy with the government. What did we do and what really happened? I would say between... Sometime in the 50s, between Area 51 to Watergate, maybe in the 70s, mm-hmm. somewhere between the 50s and the 70s, a whole bunch of weird stuff happened, you know, like Lee Harvey Oswald, and, and I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> you just combined every <laughs> conspiracy theory to one. Yeah, yeah, but it's all between within a certain time period. I'm saying within 20 years of our government, Everything and anything that happened out of the ordinary happened within that time period. It's true. A lot of hinky stuff going on. Yeah. And a lot of conspiracy theories built up around it. 
Today you uh, don't have as many conspiracies. Now it's like theories. who slept with who, yeah. and, and o- Obama was caught having a cigarette out in the patio. Their dog <laughs> peed on the royal carpet. I don't know. <laughs> it's nothing like, they found something from outer space, yeah. and we're hiding it. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, do we really have to hide under our background because Cuba's going to kill us? It's just weird things happening. And now not so much. Now it's like, eh, we just go to war and kill people. You know, yeah. it's not like everything was a secret back then. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe now it is today. Everything's a secret. Maybe we just don't know about it. Maybe they just don't act like it's a secret. What? Fourteen ninety-two. The Europeans discovered America after people were living here. Fourteen ninety-two. Freddie sailed the ocean blue. And then, like a f- few years later, people were colonizing it. Nineteen sixty-nine. We supposedly landed on the moon. A few years later, we stopped going and we never went back. A lot of me thinks we just landed on the moon to fool the Russians. Like, see? We did it. We beat you. We're better than you are. Space you race, know, yeah. like, it's... I don't know. But you think we landed on the moon? I was a big proponent that we didn't for the longest time. But then I saw certain debunking documentaries, which I wish I hadn't seen, because now I believe we landed on the moon. See, up till I met you, I seriously believed if you just kept hitting up, you could take a helicopter to the moon. <laughs> Because you're just going to go up. Eventually, it's just going to go up and up and up. And you're like, oh, we're really high now. Now we're in space. Holy crap, where do we land? I don't know. It's the moons up there. You know? This was one of the, I think, the best parts of when we were forming our friendship was like your theories. And then I would scientifically explain to you why they weren't possible. To me, yeah, I don't know. I, I just believe a helicopter can continuously go up. No. And then when it, it, it goes up. <laughs> The only difference is, is when it gets past the clouds, you can't hear the helicopter no more because <laughs> you're in space, so it becomes quiet. But then when you're in the moon, you're sucked because if you land, it's going to go down too fast and then <laughs> you'll catch in a fire and crash. Yeah, there's no fire on the moon. There's no but oxygen. But for at least 30 years, I really believed you could, you know. It makes sense, right? Because you're going up and the moon's right there. You just there. need one of those army helicopters with really big ones right. and maybe go, some oxygen yeah da, 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 da. and they wear the big face mask with the hose coming out of but it the way helicopters I work is really their propeller and then i saw a document <laughs> on my tivo records documentaries about egypt all the time oh, i love those i like that love those and there's actual hieroglyphics of egyptians that drew actual helicopters mm-hmm. that for me to this day baffles me how how does an egyptian 2,000, 3,000 years ago, actually draw a helicopter. Where did he actually come up with this idea? I mean, I could go on a, a million miles about this. And then I'm thinking, that's by the land of Jesus and gods. And, and I, I had this theory that Jesus took a helicopter to the moon. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I could just think of stuff like when, when it becomes a religion and aliens and helicopters and then, and then hieroglyphics of helicopters and and, you know... You want my opinion on helicopters 2,000, 3,000 years ago? It's possible. I think they totally could have helicopters. There's no reason why they couldn't have helicopters. If a guy in 19-0-whatever invented a helicopter, there's no reason that somebody in Egypt back then couldn't invent a helicopter. I just watched a recent documentary on History Channel, 2012, in the last couple weeks, about how there's certain air currents throughout the globe Mm -hmm. that are currents that constantly flow that they knew of these currents, that if they can get up into them, the currents would take them, that there was cross-continental travel from, from let's say, Africa to South America thousands of years ago, 
For instance, in, in a special, they had an Egyptian coffin. A mummy was buried with tobacco that was only and strictly only origin to South America. 3,000 years ago, how did these plants from South America get to Africa? I believe we totally had global travel oh, back just... then. See, you know what it is. People right now, they see our current level of knowledge and technology, and they look back a couple hundred years, 300, 400 years, and they go, well, if we were at this point 400 years ago and we're at this point now, then 3,000 years before that, we were on a graph exactly that far backwards and behind. Mm. But societies don't work like that. Societies evolve, gain knowledge, and then something happens and they lose some of it. And sure. then they start over and yeah. then they lose some of it. Yeah. And then they start over. Kind of like a wave in the ocean. Yes, exactly. Go up. Humans left Africa around 50,000 years ago. And we know about 3,000 years of our history. Mm -hmm. So it could have they happened many times. the oldest woman ever found was in Africa. How old? The bones of a woman. Oh, yeah. Offhand, I'm What was her sure. name? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I could say thousands of years old. I watched like, a whole documentary on her. Oldest. Lucy. Lucy. Her name's right. Lucy, yeah. Uh, she's Right now, she's in the sky with diamonds. Lucy in the sky with diamonds. We made it out of high school, made it out of vocational school. We and still haven't we, met yet. Where did we leave off? In Egypt? In Egypt. Wow. So uh, we're definitely uh, thinking fourth dimensionally here. I believe in Egypt a lot. I love Egypt. As far as when it comes to religion, I just don't believe in the war side of it. Like, you shouldn't have to make it life or death. You have to believe in this or you have to don't. Yeah. You know, and I do believe Egypt, all of Egypt began through, I don't know if this is the right word, I, it's not alien technology I'm thinking of, but alien influence, perhaps. I do believe something came from perhaps another galaxy, another time and place in space. There's no reason it's not possible. And brought knowledge to this world to give them the technology to build the pyramids, to help them travel in air currents from continent to continent, to get tobacco from South America to Africa. There's, they, there's been so much technology and stuff that they've created and done in their own time that we don't even understand in our time how they did it back then. There had to have been some kind of influence of something, whether it's somebody had a dream or a genius was born back then. There's smart people back then. Or godlike people or some kind of alien influence. You would love Stargate. Something. It was all about something. how uh, the Egyptian gods were actually aliens and influenced culture. That's mm -hmm. something to check out, Stargate SG-1. And maybe. if it is a god, they're not going to tell us. they just hoping that we want to believe on our own. That would make them take us into consideration. Maybe we're part of them. Pyramid power. You know, I don't know. To me, religion and aliens and Egyptians are all the same. Somehow, one way, one form or another, somehow they're all connected. I believe Jesus wasn't the son of God that when he actually went from town to town and cured people, he said he had something that would cure how they feel, back pains, diseases, gave him some kind of powder that came from the angels. I believe it was equivalent to PCP, that maybe he had angel dust. You give that to anybody who's ailing, aching, paining, you give it to them, they're flying on the moon. Next day, they feel like they're going to die again. After the guy leaves We town. need to crucify this guy. This guy wasn't the son of God, perhaps he was a drug dealer. <laughs> I just hope my sisters don't hear this stuff. That was uh, probably the most profound statement ever uh, stated on the show. And you know, I like it. It's good to have 
ideas. I'm just thinking realistically. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, sure, maybe he was the son of God. Maybe he had special healing powders. Powers. <laughs> powders, I say. Back then, if you didn't have you know? the right things in your loaf of bread, you'd produce acid. So sure. it's very possible. If 3,000 years ago, some peasants crawling on the ground with backache and you gave him PCP... Thank you, God. <laughs> this is the best I ever felt in my life. And if the guy happened to eat somebody else's face off, he would be a demon. Eventually, they catch up with him. They crucify him. You know, listen. <laughs> <laughs> what you're doing is not so cool. Yeah, you know, what you say and what you do is, is, I don't know, whatever you're giving these people, whatever they're sniffing, whatever they're smoking. It had something to do with vampires because they were drinking his blood, I know, and his and blood was Please, I mean, no pun intended to God, you know. Even though at times Jeebus has forsaken me, you know, I still need fuel for my mule, gas for my ass, (laughs) you know. You're a young adult. You're out of vocational school. What do you do? Where do you go? What's going on in your life? Are you still living with your parents? Did you move out when you were 18? No, when I was 17, I left home and moved to New Hampshire. Stayed with my cousin, Darlene. In New Hampshire, and I worked at a department store, and I stayed there with my cousin for the summer, and then I hitchhiked from New Hampshire to Massachusetts to go back to where my grandmother lived, and then while hitchhiking from New Hampshire to Massachusetts, I ended up meeting somebody, and he seemed like a nice guy, and We drove around from state to state, went to New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Maine, went from like college campus to college campus, from party to party, to where all big events were, concerts, people, different events. Just kind of went around for the summer in New Hampshire. Um, Ultimately, at the end of the summer, I ended up at my aunt and uncle's house, who lived in Massachusetts who bought me a plane ticket back to Florida, where I came back to Florida, ended up getting an apartment with a friend in Cape Coral. His name was uh, Dan, guy named Dan. Kind of a redneck guy, loved fishing, had a beard, loved going fishing. And at this time, I was still under 21, so I couldn't buy alcohol. And my neighbor, who lived next to me in his apartment complex, was a little older. So me and a friend of mine that I had went to high school with, John Jansen, wanted some beer. So we went next door, figured we'd ask my neighbor for some beer. Get in there. His wife's like, well, he's taking care of some business in the room with some friends. I figure, well, whatever the business was, whatever, we'll wait. And then we'll, uh, he'll take us out and buy us some beer. Because we weren't old enough to buy the beer. Next thing I know, there's about 200 cops there breaking it. <laughs> Breaking the doors down. <laughs> Everyone had a shotgun in her back with a cop's foot on the back of her head. This is uh, as you got there, pretty much. As I got there, relax. Yeah, his wife's like, just wait a few minutes. He'll take care of his business. When he's done, I'm sure he'll run up and buy us some beer. Apparently, he was a Coke dealer, marijuana dealer. Multiple pounds of each was being, how you say, when the cops have a tail on you and they're Surveillance. There's a surveillance on him. He was watching his business. And apparently they had a raid planned to raid his house and arrest everybody. A wrong place at the wrong time. I was just his neighbor, wanted some beer. 
Anyway, we all got shackled together, chains on all our ankles, throwed in a big wagon, <laughs> take the Lee County lockup. Um, next thing you know, 10 months later, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> 10 months. For going across to the neighborhood. Just because I wanted some beer. Yeah, that, that, that really sucked. Apparently, you know, uh, I could have gotten a bail bondsman. My bail was $10,000. Bondsman would have been 1000 bucks. My dad said, good luck. <laughs> See you on the court date. All right, court date, 10 months later. 10 months Lee County lockup really sucked, you know. Um, you get there, and I'm jumping from joy at that time. I'm like, I got to keep a positive attitude. This is great. I'm on an episode of Cops. This will be 10 months. I'll never remember. I'll remember this my whole life. I'm in prison. This is great. <laughs> you know, National Geographic, I'm learning a lifetime experience, whatever, and everyone's like, Shut up, this is horrible. We're, oh, this is horrible. You know, nobody was happy about being in jail. I, I was happy about it at the moment. It was experience of a lifetime. I'm just trying to think positive, because I knew it was a horrible experience. You get to jail. They have four cells per unit. Each cell holds three people, 12 people for, per unit. Yeah, there was 12 people, 12 black people. I was 13. My friend was 14. So I'm like, 14 people in a 12-person unit. Uh huh. Well, uh, bedtime, lockdown, go to bed. You have to go in a unit. Three black guys said, Not my 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 unit. Cops like, Pick one. <laughs> oh my goodness. This uh, is bad. Okay. I just picked a unit. My friend followed me. We laid down on the floor and slept. You know, that was fine. Nobody bothered us. We didn't have no blanket, no pillow. Just cold concrete, sleeping underneath a black person's bed. And then it's, you know, next day, then you have to learn about the showers and the canteen list and what you can have and what you can order. First black guy says, was, how many cigarettes are you going to get for me? I said, mm, mm, many as you want. He goes, I'll take two packs. I said, well, two packs is fine then. This is back when you can smoke in jail, of course, you know. Me, I just played like I'm everyone's best friend. I got along with everyone, had no problem wasn't a bad experience. Lasted 10 months, almost a year. You know, it was a long time, but you just get in a routine. You get up, have breakfast, you watch TV, you play cards, read a book. You agree with everything any, everyone says. Oh, yeah, you're right, 100%. <laughs> yep. Nobody's guilty in jail. Mm -hmm. Everybody's innocent. Mm -hmm. Including you, ironically. Yeah. yeah, you gave everyone cigarettes. It's all fine. Let's see, when I got out of there, what did I do? Uh, of course, my friend that I went there with, his dad paid his bail. He was out in three days, ten months for me. You know, wow. sucked a little bit. But we got out. You know, he was still my high school buddy, my friend. He moved to Orlando. Says, well, why don't you come on up to Orlando? You know, you can come on up with me. You know, find a job. You know, I got an apartment, you know. So I moved to Orlando thinking, well, best job I'm ever going to find is SeaWorld. Love to work at SeaWorld. Universal Studios at that point hadn't been open. This was 89, and they didn't open until, I believe, 1990. So I was there the year before Universal Studios opened. I'm like, well, i got to get a job at Universal. They're hiring thousands of people. I applied for Universal, SeaWorld, Disney, everybody. I said, well, the closest place is Universal by bus from where I had an apartment and take a bus there, and they're hiring more people. I said, this is going to be my best luck. You get on Universal, and you have to 
take one of those four-hour applications where they, they interview you, they show you a video, they explain everything, they go through a course and an application, and it takes about four hours to apply, and they did it once a day, Monday through Friday. I went Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Someone said, you know they have a Saturday class. <laughs> I said, well, I'll go Saturday. Four hours, four hours, four hours, every time. Saturday, there was a guy that said, you know, you're the only person I've seen come every single day, Monday through Friday. Then you came on Saturday. Every single day you've came here and every single day you filled out an application. I like your determination. Let me see if I can find you something. So, well, the only thing I have for you is a graveyard shift. Ten at night till six in the morning, you know. You, you work with fire hoses. You hose streets off. You pressure wash. Stuff like that. I said, I'll take anything you got. Next thing you know, I'm working at Universal Studios for two years. Wow, two years. Yeah. I love Universal Studios. The year before they opened and the very first year they opened. I went the first year they opened. My mom brought me. I was like 15, mm-hmm. I want to say, 14, 15. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. I see very little customers, but during the day, you know, I could ride all the rides I want. Anything, all day long. I was 100% free. I get off work, I could ride anything I want. But because I worked there before they technically opened, they actually paid employees from the graveyard shift to work overtime to ride on the rides to test them because Universal, I was insured through them. So if something happened on the ride and I got hurt or died, they weren't, you know, liable to be sued and this and that or whatever. And I remember going through the tests of some rides, like the Jaws ride was the most difficult ride they had to open. You know, they they had problem after problem. But I remember the grand opening of the ride. I got the ride with a guy I was carpooling with, a few other co-workers. And I sat next to Lorraine Gary through the very first run of the ride before it opened, before the first customer. Now, Lorraine Gary was the wife of Chief Brody, who was the wife of the sheriff who starred in all four Jaws movies. And not only did I get to sit next to her and hold her hand through the ride, but I got my picture with her in the newspaper. Oh, wow. So I got to go through the very first test run before the very first guest, very first guest. I was on ride number point zero one or what, whatever's before one. Negative one? Negative one. I was on the very first. Wow. Yeah, newspapers were there. and So you met Larry and Gary, not the only famous person, as I remember, that you've met. No. You've told me some stories, and I'd like you to tell me again for the record. Famous people, experiences you've had at Universal Studios late night. Universal Studios. You've met some people that I'm so in awe of. That that's very... They did all their filming at night because there was no guests there. All their sound stages. They'd open up the streets. They'd light the place up. It could be in the middle of the night, dark as can be. So many lights, they'd light the streets up. It was as if it was daytime. So they did all their filming at night. At that time, they were filming Psycho 4, The New Beginning, which was the last project Anthony Perkins did before he passed away of AIDS, who played Norman Bates, who I had a chance to shake hands, talk to, and met in person. He was in character, so he was very cold, very creepy. A year before he died, so he was very eerie to begin with. Not only because of his character, but because of the stage he was in in his life. Um, Henry Thomas, who also played Elliot on E.T., portrayed young Norman Bates, who I had met several times. Um, had a chance to talk to him, hang out with him. Um, rode in his eye rock with him. Um, 
had some party favors with him, you know, hung out, chilled, which was cool, because the whole time I'm thinking, this is little kid Elliot from E.T., and here it is again and again, I'm hanging out with him, you know, which was pretty cool. Um, one night, I was in one of the Psycho 4 trailers that usually either Anthony Perkins or Henry Thomas might have been in, but at this night was just Mother, um, which was a, what I hear was between a ten to $15,000 mannequin made of real hair and glass eyes and r- incredible replica of what was to be Norman Bates' mother was in a trailer. And I remember taking an hour lunch break, sitting on the couch with mother, and somehow my stash caught on fire. (laughs) And me and mother burnt one for about an hour. And I'm probably the only person that can ever say this in the world. And uh, uh, Jane Seymour, I want to say, played his mother, who also played Medicine Woman. Yeah, Dr. Quinn. Oh, I love that show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was on the entire set, saw the Psycho House, the whole set, filming of it night after night after night until they had the full-size replica Psycho House, hotel and everything, which they burned to the ground on the last night of filming. I'll never forget that. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie, right? If you haven't seen the movie. (laughs) Well, if you haven't seen the movie by now, you're not gonna. (laughs) That movie came out a long time ago, and it wasn't even the original. I'm going to try to watch that again now. Um, Met plenty of people there. Um, standing in line one night, Michael J. Fox grabs my hand, shakes it. Before I could even shake his hand, he shook my hand. Asked me what radio station I worked for. I'm like, I don't work for radio station, I work for Universal Studios. But thank you, and he was like, okay, have a good night. Because there was many people, I remember the grand opening of Universal. The first week they opened, they had tons and tons of stars there. Linda Blair was there, I got to meet. Uh, Bill Cosby, Lou Ferrigno, um... Of course, Michael J. Fox, Sylvester Stallone, Dean Cain. Oh, God, so many people. Dozens and dozens of people there. And because I worked at Universal Studios, I was behind the scenes. I was by the stage. I was next to the actors or actresses. Got to meet a lot of people. Christopher Lloyd, um, Steven Spielberg, the black Ghostbuster. <laughs> uh, Ernie Gary, I believe his name is. yeah. Should have thought about this ahead of time, but a lot of people. Um, Biff put me in a headlock. <laughs> the actual Biff, which is... Thomas F. Wilson. Thomas F. Wilson put me in a headlock, gave me a noogie, sat in the actual DeLorean, met Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox. That's amazing. I mean, it's... What is it? Like, how surreal is that working there and this happening to you on a daily basis, this kind of stuff? I just thought it was the coolest job I ever had. And I felt like, like I belong there, like, you know, like, you know, I, I know they're famous people and they're, and they're in the movies, but I felt like, like I belonged with them. Like I was the cool guy, like, Hey, you know, like Henry Thomas, Hey, you want to take a ride on my IROC? Yeah, man. Okay, cool. You know, it was just, I felt like I belonged in that, in that situation or with these people in the movies and I really fit in, you know? I didn't act like, oh my god, oh my god, give me an autograph, and I can't believe this, and I can't believe that, and, you know, I just, I don't know. I felt like I fit fit in more in that job than I did with anybody, because even going in a break room and getting a candy bar, and Steven Spielberg's behind me getting a candy bar, oh hey, how's it going? Like, I wasn't like, 
fan and him famous person we were equals we were like co-workers and friends and you know it acted like hey Cole hi how you doing nice to see you like I think they felt like that from me like they they felt comfortable with me and I felt comfortable with them and I don't know I got to meet and talk and hang out with a lot of people they really are just people they're, they are they're just people Sylvester Stallone was shorter than me, and I'm only five foot six. I hear he's a small guy. In real life, he looks like he's, or in the movies, he looks like six foot ten. That's how they do it. I guess. Yeah, but uh, when you meet famous people, like I've I've had a chance to work with some professional wrestlers that are considered famous, and uh, in on the inside, at first, I was like, oh my goodness, these are guys I've watched on TV for years, but they're just normal people, no different than the rest of us. So you just did that on a crazy extreme level. I mean, Steven Spielberg is one of the top 10 recognized faces in the world, I'm sure. I just feel like if you act like you're a person around a person, they're going to treat you like a person. But if I act like, oh my God, you're Steven Spielberg. Oh my God, oh my God. It's going to make them uncomfortable or, you know. And now that I look back at it, I realize how lucky and fortunate I am to worked at such a cool place and had such a good time and met so many famous people there. It's incredible. Well, I know we love going back. I've, I've been with you several times, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> A lot of times. All right, so after Universal Studios, where did your life take you? I got my bartending license. Figured I'm going to work in a bar, you know? Mm -hmm. Very touristy area, Orlando. Figured I work at a bar. Make make a lot of money, meet a lot of people. To come to realize in a touristy area when you get your bartending license, all they want is Tom Cruise or a really hot blonde girl, you know? And I can't blame them. You know, they... There has to be an attraction between the customers and the bartenders. You know, they, they want somebody attractive, young, muscular. So I had a hard time fitting in. So ultimately, I became a barback at MJ Peters, which owned the biggest, I would probably say, if not the biggest, one of the biggest sports bars and or slash gentlemen clubs. Mm. They own, he owned a dollhouse, which is world famous. He also owned uh, Two Live Nude, uh, Pure Platinum, Shuckers, uh, which is a sports and oyster bar. And they were cornered, you know, like in an intersection with the four corners. He'd own the building on all corners. And so you could go from across the street to across the street. You could go to catch the sports, get dinner, go to the dollhouse, or you could go to Pure Platinum. You know, it was like sports, restaurant, adult entertainment. Mini mall. I don't know, you know. And, of course, MJ Peters owned a dollhouse, which is in Fort Lauderdale and Hawaii and Australia and whoever else knows where. And I was a bar back there for about two years, which was cool because I had all the drinks I can get. I got an hourly wage, which was very decent at the time. And I'd make tips, which was a percentage of what the girls made at night, which would make a lot of money. So it was like I was making two, three paychecks a week. I was making tons of money, really good money. Had a nice, nice uh, apartment with John Jansen in Orlando. A um, lot of crazy women, a lot of beautiful women. Had a lot of fun working there. Uh, one time, I slightly dated a girl there who had her own home, nice big home, drove a Porsche, had a minor spread in Penthouse magazine. All my friends were jealous. Because she was crazy off her rockers. But <laughs> we got along very well. Dated for a little while. Went to a ZZ Top concert. Um, apparently did sexual favors to one of the guys. Got backstage. Met ZZ Top. I waited in the crowd. Had a beer. 
Um, but she was a fun girl. It was a fun time working at a nudie bar, as if you could expect. I'm in my young 20s. Got my bartending license. And that was a lot of fun. And I remember I met uh, Michael Anthony, bass player, Van Halen, dating a girl at the dollhouse. Probably one of many girls he was dating. Building a house, brand new house in Winter Park. Which, you know, in, in Orlando, it's Altamont Springs, Longwood, Winter Park, Castleberry. There's, you know, Orlando's got a lot of little towns, or what you call them, you know, um, communities or counties or whatever, you know. Um, he's having a house built in Winter Park, dating a girl at, at Dollhouse. And the Dollhouse closed at 2 o'clock, you know, last call went dirty, Dollhouse closed 2 o'clock. After 2 o'clock, he would show up, wait for his girlfriend to get out of work. Of course, you know, this is bass player for Van Halen. That's awesome. A big Van Halen fan. I love Van Halen. Uh, he would hang out there, and he'd be like, Hey, you know, after you guys get done work, you know, why don't we go to my house and this and that? And he would grab a group of us and jump in his Jaguar or, you know, carpool with some other people and go to his house or go to other nightclubs and hang out. And I remember how much fun that was because when he had his house built in Winter Park, he had a huge mansion, had a big giant room with a movie theater in it, movie seats, and had a full full liquor bar and had hot tubs, swimming pool, and it was awesome. This 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 guy was really nice, and it it's so like I say, he he seemed to grow on me, like he really liked me. He'd always ask me, what do I want to do? What would you like? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? To the point to where he gives me the keys to his Jaguar. Hmm. Can you drive me home? Do you want to go to a nudie bar? Just you and me. Go to an ATM and he'd take out $1,000 as much as he could. You know, we go to the nudity club and say, whatever you want. Whatever girl you want. Whatever drink you want. And at that time, I'd always bring my roommate, Rob. And I'm like, Rob takes care of me. I take care of you. And I swear to God there for a few weeks there. Night after night, we were going out to restaurants, nudie bars, going to his house whole time, I can't believe it. It's Michael Anthony, it's a bass player, or Van Halen. That was probably the greatest moment, working at that Oyster Bar. Until one year, it was um, Halloween. Everyone's dressed up. I'm the bar back. I'm in charge of rolling kegs out, bringing beer up to the bar. I was the guy who had the key to the beer cooler. Bartenders always kept doobies in the beer cooler. You go on break. Start the doobie. Finish the doobie. Start the doobie. Finish the doobie. Okay, John's finally done taking care of everyone. If there's a doobie left, you can smoke it. All right, go in the beer cooler, smoking a doobie. Next thing I know, Frankenstein walks in the cooler. <laughs> Frankenstein? Like, well, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I realize it might have been high, but <laughs> okay, it's Halloween, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Frankenstein, what do I do? Here you go, man. You want to hit? Smacked it out of my hand. He says, if you're not out of here in five minutes, I'm calling the cops. Who do you think you are? I'm the owner. <laughs> well, there goes two years of working at Shuckers, oh, MJ man. Peters. So, wrong place, wrong time, I guess. You know, I don't know. I've come a long way and learned my lesson not to smoke. Well, it's a series of unfortunate events, but luckily they've all led you to me. Yes. Yes. For a while, you're friends with Michael Anthony, but now you're yeah. friends with Albie. So. Right. 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 You take the good with the bad. Yeah. Yeah. So Frankenstein smacked <laughs> something out of your hands, let's say a sandwich, Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. told you to... <laughs> yeah, that was it. My job, 
My uh, career was ended at Chuckers. I no longer worked there, but I had good friends when I worked there, and I fell in love with a girl there. And to this day, I still love her, and she was always one of the most, you know, uh, important person girls I've ever met in my life. I fell in love with her. She fell in love with me. Um, apparently, the head cook at the restaurant at that time had a secret crush in love of her who had known her longer than me with extreme rage and jealousy came up with a story with the general manager that he had been friends for for years to sabotage what we had with lies saying I said this and I said that and this is this and that's that and it was either my word or his word with the general manager's word which she had known them years more than me so she was friends with them, and and it was their two of their words against my words, and in other words, they set me up, and I never seen or heard from her ever again. What was your name? Jennifer. Jennifer. Winslow. Wow. <laughs> yep. I really, really cared for her so much, and she really cared for me, but through jealousy of somebody else and a general manager, they they really did. They set up a like a plot or a conspiracy to to make stuff up, to make her hate me. Mm-hmm. And I told her they're lying. They're like, come on, they're not lying. I've known these guys for like 10 years. Why would they lie to me? They're my best friends. I work with them. I've only known you for two years. Why, why, why? Well, she took their words over that. It was horrible. I didn't like that. I would believe you over them. I know every little thing about you, and mm-hmm. you would never do anything to hurt anybody. No, so. not on purpose. Especially someone you loved. Yeah. So that was pretty hard probably, huh? Yeah, it sucked. It was very, yeah... I really, I really, really liked her yeah. a lot. Yeah. Like a lot, a lot. Meant a lot to me. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard yeah. when stuff like that doesn't work out, and especially under such circumstances. We were friends for a long time first, and I really cared for her. Yeah. And she was very pretty, and I really liked her. Mm. I'm sure somewhere out there she's thinking of you. I doubt it, but. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure that took some grieving and stuff mm-hmm. to get over that as much as you could. Well, after that, I was um, very upset, (laughs) of course. Um, When I stopped working at Universal Studios, I moved into a place with a friend of mine that worked at Universal Studios. We got an apartment together. And it was a pretty nice apartment. Um, And in these apartments was a maintenance man. Now, the maintenance man... And this was right on OBT, Orange Blossom Trail, which is like Del Prado of Cape Coral. You know, it's like the main strip in Orlando, OBT, Orange Blossom Trail. Goes from all the way from one end of Orlando to the other. It's the main road. And he says, well, I'm moving from here to Altamont Springs, which is just north of Orlando. And at that time, my sister, Julie had just moved from Cape Coral. She wanted to come up to Orlando. Just as I, my last, like I worked at Universal two years, and I would say the last six months I was there, my sister Julie moved up from Cape Coral, moved into the apartments where I lived in, and worked at Universal Studios. Oh, wow, I never knew that. Yeah, she sold, she was a girl that worked at like the hot dog stand, like, and she worked there for a little while. And she became friends with a girl that lived in the apartments I worked in. And the girl was a stripper and wanted my sister to be a stripper, but my sister wouldn't didn't want to be a stripper. 
Long story short, she ended up moving back to Cape Coral, back to my parents, back down to here. Um, the stripper ended up moving to Daytona. My sister, of course, didn't move with her to Daytona, which was very, very close north of Altamont Springs. Like, that was, you know, 30 minutes away. My sister Julie moved back to uh, Cape Coral. We're fortunate she met Mike, which she's married to now for almost 20 years. But she was friends with the girl there, whose parents was the maintenance people there, who ended up moving to Altamont Springs. And because my sister knew the daughter, I knew him. And after that, you know, of course, I I ended up working. I'm I'm trying to patch all this together time-wise with shuckers. But I ended up knowing the maintenance guy. Long story short, I knew the maintenance guy. He was moving to Altamont Springs. So after I got fired from shuckers or whatever... Um, I says, you know what, if you want to move, if you're moving to Altamont Springs, you and your wife, you get in a two-bedroom apartment, I'll go with you. He's like, I'd love it if you come with us. He was an older guy, kind of like a Frankie, and but he was married and had a Mrs. Frankie. <laughs> and I ended up moving to Altamont Springs with them. And this was in 1992. And the nearest thing was a shopping plaza. And in that shopping plaza was a Hooters. So I ended up getting a job at Hooters, which I ended up staying with off and on for the most part for probably seven years. Wow. Yeah. Worked at 11 different Hooters locations, including Chicago's locations, Central Florida, South Florida, pretty much mostly Florida locations. So after I went from Universal, I went to Shucker's Oyster Bar, through MJ Peters, which was the nightclub, which I barbacked at the Dollhouse, Pure Platinum, and then I went to uh, Hooters. How was Hooters different from your previous employment? Hooters was a lot of fun to work at. The girls are very pretty. They're there to look at. They're paid to make you feel good, you know, make you feel welcomed as a customer. Not very smart. <laughs> I've had Hooter girls ask me how many oysters are in a dozen. <laughs> uh, let me let me get back to you. I don't know. How many oysters are in a dozen? <laughs> it's happened. You know, I hate to say anything discriminative towards women, but they're not hired for their intelligence. Right. You know, and working for Hooters, they're like, hey, you're lucky you got a job at Hooters. Look at the scenery, enjoy it. You got no bonuses, you got no benefits, you got no insurance, you got no raises, no, uh, n- you got nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you got crappy pay, crappy bonuses, no bonuses, no benefits, you got nothing. Mm-hmm. No vacation, you got nothing on top of nothing. Sounds like my current predicament. It's a fun job. I had a really good time. The guys I worked with are really cool because they're all, seem like a bunch of hard rock guys. You know, the girls are... You know, party girls. It's, it was a lot of fun, you know, but it's it's meant for people in their 20s. You know, young, party, excitement, you know. It's like the perfect college restaurant, college job, you know. It was a good time. I really enjoyed working for Hooters. Best chicken wings in the world. We still like going there. Yeah, whenever we can afford it. Yeah. Not as cheap as they used to be, no. that's for sure. But I remember when I worked at Hooters and... I had this roommate, and the first three years when I worked at Hooters from like 92 to 95, I believe, it's Altamont Springs in Orlando, Florida, and my roommate was Dave, and he was a really cool guy. We got along real well, except he had this this uh, python snake 
that was an ex- excess of over nine feet long. So that's a huge snake. And he'd let it roam around the house. It would be <laughs> on the ground, on the kitchen floor, all the way up to the counters, in the cabinets, pulling dishes out, smashing them <laughs> on the floor. And what do you say? Get down. <laughs> Don't do that. I mean, it's a monster. I'm, I'm scared. Sounds know? like a sci-fi channel Yeah, movie. it was horrible. He's drunk in his room, passed out. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and this is in Altamont Springs, where everything was hilly, believe it or not, in Florida. Up and down and up and down. And I remember one night, we were walking home, and it was about a mile and a half from where we lived to where we worked. And we both didn't drive. We both worked at Hooters. Both lived together. And on the way home, we would hit the top of this hill. And this hill was so steep that you physically could not ride a bike up it. It was so steep. So after a few beers, you know, you're stumbling home. And you're going downhill. And it's steep. And you're stumbling. And you're stumbling faster and faster. He was stumbling so fast that he would step. He'd be airborne for like three minutes. (laughs) Take another step. Airborne for three minutes. End up head over heels crashing in a bush the loudest scream a possum tacking this guy like nuts and he's trying to escape i'm trying to help him and this possum's just going nuts and i'll never forget that night and he became my possum buddy i get maybe you just have to have been there but that's funny to picture that it was just something else and at that time aladdin first came out in a disney theater and we saw Aladdin in a the theater, came out on video. We saw it 100 times Wow! on videotape. And then we saw The Jungle Book 100 times. And we'd always invite all the cooks, all the waitresses over from Hooters. And all the years we lived there, night after night, all the years we were there, we would watch. It was either Aladdin or Jungle Book. We watched each one of them 100 nights. We'd mark it down, write it down. Okay, we saw Aladdin 100 times. And we'd get to the point, we'd have a few drinks, start drinking, have four or five Hooter girls there. and We would act out the scenes and sing the songs, and we'd know all the words. The girls just loved it, and we had fun, enjoyed it, you know. It was fun, friendly entertainment, watching Disney movies. Yep, and that was... Have you watched those lately? Not lately, not for a long, years. Might be something fun to do. Yeah. And that was working at Hooters. Hooters was a good time. So, uh... How did you leave Hooters? How did I leave Hooters? I said, uh, the only time I'll, at the time I'm, you know, living in Orlando, Orlando's the greatest place in the world. I love Orlando. So the only way I'll ever move back to Cape Coral is if they build a Hooters there. Yep, they build a Hooters in Cape Coral, right on Del Prado. I said, they built it, I will come. And, uh, my manager from Hooters in Orlando called Hooters in Cape Coral and said, hey, I got an employee from Cape Coral, been working for us for years. Multiple locations, best guy you could have to help you open a store. Huh? Bring him down. It's no problem. Uh, moved down with my, uh, moved down. Stayed with my mom and dad. Got a job at uh, Hooters Grand Opening, Cape Coral. I was one of the first employees to work in Hooters Cape Coral. And I remember at that time I had, uh, um, I wasn't gonna move down here alone. I was gonna move down here with a girl I knew, Jennifer. Not Winslow. Different one, Jennifer. This is a different Jennifer. Okay. This would be uh, Jennifer Mensch, um, who, at the time I came down here with, I had a 10-month-old son with her. 
But at the time, me, her, and my parents were the only one that knew because she was a married woman. So I don't know what kind of child you would call that. It would be your child. I had a child with a married woman, an affair that had been going on for years. That's a whole other story in itself. And I moved down here to old grand open Hooters. Got an apartment with my full support from my grandmother, mother and father, sister and whoever else could help. She agreed that she would leave her abusive husband to come down here and start a life with our son and my family. And of course I moved down here, got the apartment, got the job, everything worked out real good. She came down. My parents actually got to meet him, whose name is James Christopher. And long story short, from what I understood, he put a gun to her and said, if you leave me, I will kill you your son, and myself. And then I'll look for him and kill Johnny Jr. And it's very, um, like, we took it very hard because previously before that, his father had committed suicide, shot his son, his wife, and shot himself in the head. And before that, we, I ended up going to Chicago after this had happened to my friend's father. And we helped remodel his house, sell his house. But in the situation I'm in, for a guy to put a gun to her head, threaten to kill her, him, me, and the son, just two years before his father killed his own wife, brother, and himself, you got to believe he would do that. Yeah, it's not an empty threat. Yeah, like, oh my God, okay. Of course, I blew up saying, you know, no, unbelievable, not. So, God, I just... It may get in too intense, but I says, well, maybe if I pull out a knife and try to stab him to death before he can shoot me, I'll kill him before he can kill me. Next thing you know, cops are there. I mean, it's it's out of control. My father was a, a licensed phlebotomist, which technically is a doctor. Drove from Cape Coral to Orlando, which cops released me into his custody and put a restraining order of some sort that... and. I don't remember all the details because after that I lost my mind. I'm like, I just lost my best friend, my job, my home, the girl I love, my son. You know, I was in a life and death situation. Never in my life have I ever at that point lost my mind. Come back down to Cape Coral and um, I ended up hooking up with a friend who got me the job at Salsis Plantation, who I lived there with him in employee housing for like three years after that. And never in my life have I ever been suicidal, drank so much, depressed, upset, just out of my mind. It was like that I don't remember exactly everything that happened during that time to lead to that time. I remember certain details, you know, like him threatening us, the gun, my father, the cops, you know, and so much more details I could add in and fill in. But at that time... That was the last time I ever saw my son, which was 10 months old, who now I would say is 16, this has been about 16 years later, so 16, almost 17 years old, and I haven't talked to her since, but one time when I was in South Seas, I said the hardest thing in the world was never having the opportunity to say goodbye to somebody you love. Say you love somebody more than the world, they go on an airplane ride, it crashes, or an accident, or God forbid anything happens, 
and you never have a chance to say goodbye to somebody you love. It's all I wanted. Two, three months went by since that, that, that night that I barely remember. And thank God you called me. All I want to know is you're going to be happy and you're going to be okay. Loved you more than anything in this world. And, and more than anything, I just want this opportunity to say goodbye to you. What'd she do? Hang up the phone. Never had a chance to say goodbye. Never talked to her again. Never seen my son. It's been 16 years, you know. That's that's insane. Yeah. So, and it took about three years to get over that. And after that, I said, well, I'm never going to be with anybody ever again. Can't and blame you. To this day, I haven't. For the most part, I haven't, you know. And once I moved off Captiva Island, I moved back into Cape Coral where I proceeded to look for my next job. First thing Monday morning, 8 o'clock, got up, looked for a job. 8.30, I had a job. Where was that? First place, first day, half hour later. Perkins. Wow. Yep. That brings us to Perkins. Which I walked out on the first day I worked. (laughs) Don't blame you. Tim was the kitchen manager at the time. Uh Uh-huh. Meet me here tomorrow, 8 o'clock. I showed up 8 o'clock. 8.30, I sat in the dining room. He still didn't show up. I peeked into the kitchen. I said, this is disgusting. I said, there's no way I'm going to go in that kitchen. There's no way I'm working here. Done deal. Walked out. Walked out the front door in the parking lot. Car pulls up behind me. Guy gets out, put his arm around me. Welcome to your first day of work. It was Tim, (laughs) the manager. Yeah. Walked me in, and I said, well, that's it. (laughs) Ten years later. I'm so glad he did. I can't wait to get to Perkins, uh, part of your life, but uh, one thing I want you to mention is you told me a little bit about somebody famous you met uh, while you are at South Seas that you didn't know at the time. I remember. Okay. All right. So it's at um, South Seas Plantation. I worked in employee housing, which means I prepared rooms for employees, furniture, wax floors, whatever was to be readily available for an incoming employee living in employee housing. I also had several part-time jobs when I was there. I worked in the uh, towel hut on the weekend, handing out towels. Ship store, making sandwiches for the weekend. I also worked at Mama Rosa's Pizza three nights a week, making pizzas for people on the plantation. Because um, when you're on an island... Either worked or partied, you know, and I, I tried to be responsible. I tried to work, you know, and I had several jobs out there. But being the only pizza place, uh, we, we'd have some small celebrities come out there every once in a while. And first one I could think of was uh, Chris Farley, Saturday Night Live. Um, he was the um, equivalent to um, John Belushi, um, who was also on Saturday Night Live. Who, in coincident, and I don't remember the exact date or age, but I believe it was 36, maybe 39, John Belushi died. And on the anniversary of John Belushi's death, Chris Farley committed suicide, died on the same day, same age, very unfortunate. But Chris Farley had problems. He was well, probably 400 pounds, heart problems, drugs, drinking, cocaine, marijuana, all of it. And you saw this firsthand, right? And I saw this firsthand. He would come to the pizza place, being the only pizza place. I need a couple, two or three pizzas. My father needs a couple, two or three pizzas. Come to the room, you know. We're partying. I'm like, whatever, dude. I don't, you know, I don't. I didn't know who Chris Farley was at the time. 
you know, I remember back in the day when Eddie Murphy and and Chevy Chase did Saturday Night Live, but I wasn't up to current, so I wasn't sure who he was. Ah, eh, sure, whatever. Go back, and he'd be like, oh, man, sniff this, smoke that, drink this, eat that. And I'm like, holy crap, dude. <laughs> I couldn't believe this guy. <laughs> and then I was like, hey, I'm thinking this is the guy that I bumped into earlier because when, when I was working at the ship store as one of the part-time jobs, I walked into a bathroom, and I was like, oh, excuse me. He's like, uh, it's all right. So I'm like, okay. And it was one of those bathrooms, men's bathrooms, a urinal and a toilet. So we were both sharing a bathroom at the same time. I'm like, there's some fat guy peeing in the toilet. And I said, I got to go. I got to go. So I peed in the toilet. Then they realized, hey, you peed with Chris Farley. I'm like, huh, you know, whatever. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> Long story short, I wouldn't do the Coke, but I had a beer, smoked a doobie with Chris Farley. And, you know, a year or so down later, he ended up dying, you know. Mm-hmm. But which was an interesting story, I suppose. Yeah, South Seas Plantation was pretty cool. I loved it. Every night, we all the employees would go up, sunset on the beach, grab our wine and our beer, see the sunset, come back, go back to the room. Every Everybody had sex. I watched television. <laughs> well, Pretend to play the guitar. Going, you know, one day I'll have sex. <laughs> And every guy that asked me, I said no. <laughs> One of these days, I hoped a real girl would ask me to have sex. And she did. Yep. I remember it well. I watched her sleep all night long. As soon as she wakes up, we're having sex. She woke up, what the hell are you doing in my bed? <laughs> so, you know, I said, well, whatever. So then came Perkins. Then came Perkins. So, <laughs> I want to start off saying a quote from Jimi Hendrix, who is one of my favorite guitar players who had ever lived. I really like Jimi Hendrix. And he died the day I turned one years old, my very first birthday, 1970, um, September 18th. The day I turned one, it was the day he died. And he said one time, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. That's beautiful. Yeah, I thought so. All along the Watchtower, man. Yeah. One, one of my favorite tunes of all time. Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Tire tracks all across my back. You can tell I've had my fun. So, your life up to this point, I would have to say, they based a movie on your life, Forrest Gump, because you just bumped into everybody ever famous in the whole world just randomly. Yep, like Homer Simpson, I've had probably more than 50 jobs, to say his, 150. <laughs> yeah. I've met many of people, porn stars mm-hmm. included. Mm-hmm. I've met many of porn stars in my time. Can you drop some names? Sure. Nina Hartley. Mm-hmm. She's the queen of porn. Yes. And to be a queen of porn, you have to make over 1,500 films. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Wow. I've met queen of porn, Victoria Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, quite a few of them. Of course, back in the day in Orlando when I was pursuing my bartending license and having fun at Universal or working at the bar, you know, there was always something to do in Orlando. There's always a concert or this celebrity here or that celebrity there. You know, uh, porn star at this nightclub or that nightclub. Meet, you know, this star or that star. I was there. I don't care who it was. Whether I liked them or not, if I could go, I'd go. That was my thing, just to say I met somebody or... Yeah, why not? You know, yeah. 
and I've met a lot of people, a lot of people doing that. A lot of nightclubs in Orlando, a lot of stars. And I remember in a day before DVD, VHS was the biggest thing in the world. New video out this month on VHS at this nightclub. Porn stars signing autographs and giving out new release of this video. I swear to God, every month it would be somebody at this place, that place, this place. It was endless you could meet people doing that. That was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. And then? And then. You met? And no and then. <laughs> no and then. <laughs> and no and then. No and then. All right. Um. Mm. Wow. It's great life so far. Yeah. Tim. It was a Pressler? Uh, no, Tim Tim Pressler was the uh, general manager. This was Tim. This was Tim. Ding, dang, do. Spit tobacco in a cup. Many missing teeth. <laughs> Wife, very abusive. Should have worked for the Waffle House. I, yeah, I mean, he, he was a really nice guy. I mean, oh, okay. God. Yeah. I never met him. I don't remember. It, really? He yeah. must have been kitchen manager just before you started at... Uh, yeah. I was Perkins. at a different store. Tim? Uh, Tim? <sighs> Conway. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> was he tall? I wouldn't say no, not very no, tall. Different Tim. Anyway. Def- definitely Southern. Definitely redneck. Definitely good old boy. Uh, he was probably mid-twenties. A lot of missing teeth. Like, maybe he had got on a head, head-on collision with a crystal meth truck. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, he, uh, But he was a really nice guy. Whatever and you could say about him, I really appreciate who him. him? Yeah, him giving you that job there. Because if he hadn't, we never would have met, and my life would have been totally different. And I love my life now. Yeah, well, he interviewed me, and he said, "I like you from the second I met you. We clicked like you know we were friends. I was just being myself. You know, I'm in there. This is where I've been. This is what I've done. This is what I can do. Hire me in a second, and he did, which you know I was glad for." Because, you know, when I went job hunting at 8 o'clock in the morning and 30 minutes later I had a job, that worked out pretty good. A little bit different than nowadays looking for a job. Yeah, and since then, the next time, it was a little more than 30 minutes to try to find my next job. (laughs) Yeah, laugh it up, mister. (laughs) 200 plus applications, two years later, and when I stopped using my suffix as junior, no, 33904. Yeah. What was I doing? <laughs> you you were using your when it said suffix after your name you're yep. using your zip code. Three three John G Weir <laughs> three three nine oh four. That might have been one of the reasons you didn't get hired. You know, but you know, if they actually talk to you, because what I say about you is to know you is to love you. Yeah. And nobody knows me. So nobody knows nobody you loves me. me so. No. Okay, so you work for this the restaurant about a year. Before I started there, right? Yeah, I, I, I remember I, I um part of me wanting or actually walking out the first day before I even started was March thirty first. So my actual first day was April first and I said I was uh not gonna come in today, you know, as an April Fool's, you know. I just can't see coming in today. But then there I was. There you were. <laughs> my first day, April first, two thousand. So I must have been about a year later I, I and, transferred there, right? Yeah, because I remember at the time, Tim was the manager, kitchen manager, which meant you didn't see him, you didn't hear from him, you didn't know where he was, he didn't do a damn thing. Oh, we got one of those now. Yeah, yeah that's the kitchen manager's <laughs> job. You're the kitchen manager, you know, 
don't do this, don't do that, make me something to eat, I'll see you in six hours, I'll be in the office. Mm-hmm. Or, or I'll take a sandwich to the toilet. So the, assist, yeah. <laughs> so the assistant that. does everything. Right. Assistant at the time was Connie Kelch. Right, and she was working with me at the South Store at the time. Yes. And uh, from my perspective, what was going on was there's this awesome guy working at Cape Coral Parkway. You got to meet him. You guys would be instant friends. He's so awesome. He's just like you. And I'm like, you know what? I don't want any more friends. It's nice that you want to fix me up with a friend, which is weird to begin with. Right. But I heard about this every weekend. I thought my first instinct was, okay, she really wants to set us up, but just because I'm happy (laughs) (laughs) doesn't mean... What was what am I trying to get across? All right. Another word for happy. Right, 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 right. It doesn't mean happy anymore. Right. Right. Necessarily. Necessarily. Right. Well, Not I was getting the same impression with that, which was weird for me because <laughs> we just ended a relationship, me and her, so she knew I wasn't happy. Right, 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 right. You know, right. and I was dating somebody else there at the time. I think uh, somebody named Sarah. Like old-fashioned terms, when in the old days, if you were gay, you were happy, Mm -hmm. you know. And I'm thinking she must have thought we were two happy guys, (laughs) you know. (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot of people who thought that over the years. And I I, kind of wondered. I've been put in situations like that before Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. where, you know, you don't know if a friend is gay or just happy, Mm -hmm. you know, because... Just because you're gay, that doesn't mean you're happy anymore, <laughs> Pop. Right. You know, that, right. that means something else, you yeah. know. So, it's 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 weird because, you know, that's what I thought she was trying to do when she was trying to introduce us. She was almost like trying to set us up like a couple. It so, it like made it. me wonder, which I'm sure made you wonder, which there has been times and places where I would make incentives or, or or comments towards like hmm or maybe or could be like throwing it out there just to see what kind of you know comment you would have back just mm-hmm. to try to see if you were because mm-hmm. I didn't know if you was yeah there's no you way know? to tell I was and single and you at the were time. probably thinking you didn't know if I was because you know at that point I swore out women I didn't want nothing to do with women I had nothing to do with women I hated women I ain't there's no way I'm going to date them and then and Coming from Connie, looking at me from a woman's perspective, she's probably thinking like, "This guy, and no girl in the world is going to go out with this guy." I'm thinking she might have thought that I was happy, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe you guys were unsuccessful or you wanted to be happy. I don't know. Long winded. I don't even. I'm just going on and on. And I'm, on and I'm on sure and people on. have thought about that and, uh, uh, about me here and there, just because I'm not the beer drinking, football watching, farting, non bathing kind of guy. You know, I think I was metrosexual before it was cool. You know, yeah. I took baths three times a day or showers. You know, and that was very unmanly. I guess I'm not sure. Some of my friends that are very manly still, I doubt if they ever bathe. Sometimes. I wonder if I ever was, will be, or could be. But I know I'm not. So, you know. That's but just, there's nothing wrong with that. I fully no, support it. and nothing wrong with that. We're eating Oreos tonight to show our support. Yes. I believe in gay marriage. You should, yes, sure. you, sh- you should be able to marry whoever you want to. Yeah. You know, point day, I'm engaged to my lovely teddy bear. Brooklyn, Brooklyn bear. That's right. One day I hope to be um, 
an American married to a fabricated American. I think it'll you know, happen. And that's no different than if you wanted to marry anything else. Mm-hmm. You should be allowed to do what you want. The first day I met Brookie, mm-hmm. which was probably probably a couple months after you guys met yourself, right? You met in February, I know. I met February, and I met you in May. So I've known her for three months before I met you. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And she's become part of the family, part of the group. Uh, she goes everywhere <laughs> we go. She has more clothes than most of us. <laughs> I remember the first day we watched a movie and you came over and hung out. Mm-hmm. And as usual, she's in a chair next to me. And I turned over and gave her a kiss. And your eyes just bugged out of your head. <laughs> Did you just kiss that bear? <laughs> did, did you? Did, I was like, I don't know, did I? And you were like, you did. I was like, oh, well, I do that. And then after that, it was like, I could see something clicking in your head. Like, you just took me on a whole other level. Like, okay then, click. And not in a bad way. But no, you just, it was just like, like five minutes right, of my brain So he's that kind of friend, you know, yeah. like... Well, no, yeah. it just took me about five minutes for my brain to process the whole thing. And then I was like, that's cool. You know, because I'm, I'm like equal opportunity to everybody, you know. Whatever. And uh, I'm glad I thought it was cool because uh, we've had some great adventures. All yeah. of us. Actually, Brooke was in between South Seas Plantation, which was my three-year binge of having the girl in my life, a son, and all that I had and everything I ever wanted, and losing it all. To losing my mind and going to that point in my life for three years to getting to the point to where I got back on track and just before I met you is is when I met Brooke because I, I was at the loneliest point in my life and at that point in my life I realized the thing that hurt me more than anything in the whole world is being alone just no matter if if it's anything just being alone and it hurt so bad to the point to where I just couldn't take it no more. I called my sister in tears, didn't know what to do. Next day she came over, and this was February 15th, day after Valentine's Day, which was the breaking point of my depression because it was Valentine's night. And I sat there alone, feeling more alone than I've ever felt in my life. And on television, not paying attention, was the Titanic subconsciously watching it, following it, getting into it. Commercials, the movie alone, it's hours and hours long that by the time I got into the movie, I hadn't realized what I had been watching, you know. And watching this movie, it just, it it broke my heart. It killed me. It was devastating. At that point, I said, I will never spend a minute alone no matter my life. I don't know what I'm going to do or have to do. And my sister came over that next day, and and in tears, I'm telling her and talking to her. And we walked over to Walgreens across the street, and I walked in there, and they had all these bears that nobody had bought for for Valentine's Day that were just sitting there. And one of them looked at me like, I'm alone, and I was left behind. And I just picked this bear up, and it was just something I felt from that moment I never had to be alone for the rest of my life again. And it was because of maybe the movie, The Titanic, or or talking to my sister or being in the right place at the right time. But it was the look in the eye that I had from this bear with the, the sparkle and the, 
I felt something, you know. And from that point, I was never alone ever again to where I could get back up on my feet and look for work and get a job. And the first place I went and the first thing I did was go to Perkins. And half hour later, I had a job. Wow. And, and you know, I met Albie. Which was awesome. Yeah. So it was like everything that was meant to be, you know. Brooklyn Bear sitting with you the whole time, of course. Yeah. It's like the the loss of of lives and and souls and and loneliness and depression and 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 a child and a woman you love and everything all bundled up and in in your heart that there's finally a place I can put it you know and 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 it, I don't know it feels good mm-hmm. and your guys' favorite movie together is Titanic Titanic and uh, it's our favorite I, movie I've caught on to the whole Titanic thing and. That's a big part of all our lives now is uh, Titanic. Not only the movie, but the whole experience and history and everything to do with Titanic. Yeah. I remember that first day when I came to that restaurant and you were working there. We both worked together and we were like, yeah, they're uh, Connie and Stinky Britches. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what we called her because she was always opener and she was always trying to get out of there as soon as possible. So she kept leaving us all screwed over. Well, you so stink. We, we, you stink. So it evolved into Stinky Britches. But her name's Nikki Moran, yep. and it was her and Connie and me and you, and we were the four cooks in the daytime. Yep, I worked under Connie, Whoa. trained by Nikki. Yeah. And six months later, they're wondering why I couldn't cook. <laughs> and then once they realized who I was cooking under, then they realized, and then they said, "Well, prep lady's got to go visit her parents." Do you mind helping out and prep for for a little bit? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, her parents live in India. She'll be <laughs> back in six months. Six months. That was Eileen? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I always wanted to come on Eileen. That's <laughs> a good song. Yeah. And uh, as I remember, she was a nice lady. Yeah. She was, was a very One nice lady. One leg shorter than the other. And then, you know, after that, Connie pretty much, you know, was in charge of me and watched me and helped me cook and got you in there. Mm-hmm. And once you were in there, that was it. I was your bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I did everything. Instantly. Still yeah, are. instantly. Pull your tickets, <laughs> put your drink up under your mouth so you can sip on it. Yeah. Put your spatula in your hand, yeah. tie your shoes. Right. Only a few times. Oh, my God. It was just everything. I double knot them now so people don't have to do that. Make me another Reuben. Oh, my God. You make them better than anybody. Why don't I have any stock? I need more bacon. Oh. There's about 500 other guys that worked with me that are really sympathizing with you right now. Going, right? I know. God. It was... Okay, so... You're my partner. You're the pancake guy. You're the baking guy. You work the pancake girl, the middle girl. Cold side, you have to stock, rotate, help the dishwasher, take out the garbage. You have to put my omelet mix down. You have to do put my fries down, which is on the other side of him, which the other side wasn't easy sometimes when he was about 400 pounds. I can't get past you. And what? It, and he'll be texting what Barry Manilow song I want to listen to next. I don't know. Johnny, what the hell are you doing? Go to the cooler. I need this. Where's my fries? Uh, 
It was horrible. And out of that grew a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Yes. It wasn't easy, man. I tell you, it was like... (laughs) You know what it was like? I felt like Bugs Bunny on that one episode where he's playing the New York Giants. First base, Bugs Bunny. Second base, Bugs Bunny. Third base, Bugs Bunny. Outfield, Bugs Bunny. And out pitching, Bugs Bunny. And there's Albie. Just standing there with a baseball bat, ready to hit me upside the head. Uh, yep, that's what it was like. I have a unique uh, training method. Yep. He was Lord and Master, and I was the guy who portrayed him in Spaceballs. <laughs> Dark helmet. <laughs> I would just tip over. Yeah, I don't know. But fun. Those times were so fun. Best time of my life. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> forget Steven Spielberg. Forget oh, Michael yeah. J. Forget Fox. movie stars and, and titty bars and <laughs> nudie clubs. You got to cook with me. Oh, my God. I got to cook with him and <laughs> and other stuff and everything. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know what confused me? Because, uh, like we were saying, that people thought we were happy here and there because we just were inseparable and we do everything together and go everywhere together. And uh, if they'd be like, are you guys brothers? We'd be like, no. No. <laughs> So, of course, the next thing they, you know. But, uh, like, I didn't want to be friends with you. I really didn't want to be friends with you because mm. we were under pressure to be friends. And I was like, that's stupid. But no matter what I talk about, I think at the time we are talking about maybe X-Files or Xena. See, that's funny because I wanted to be friends with you two minutes after I met you. I'm like, really? Awesome. No, what I'm I saying thinking, is not like. I was you're right, but I'm not going to act like you're right. So I'll just be cool about it. Well, like, after I met you, I wanted to be friends. But, like, going into the situation, I didn't want them to be right. You know what I mean? Well, me neither. Because they were pressuring me too much. But everything we were talking about, X-Files, uh, Xena, I think, at the time was a big thing with us. Uh, different Buffy. movies. Buffy. Oh, yeah. so that Buffy. was super big. Yeah. So we just hit it off on, like, every subject. And usually people can't understand a word coming out of my mouth and when they do they don't know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. but we just clicked instantly and i was in the sci-fi at the time and i wasn't like oh so how about that 49ers game last night oh don't you hate that oh my god <laughs> that right there you can tell yeah did you see the game last night uh well no <laughs> no what was it highlight i'm not sure what, yeah, I don't what's know. going on but yeah, so you were you were instantly cool, and I just wanted to be friends with you. I think the first time I came over to your house, I was like, "Well, if I go over to his house and we watch X Files or whatever was on that night, I know you're, a lot of people were watching it there, maybe." And I was like, "The night I met Brookie, I was like, well, if I go over to his place, we're going to be friends, and I'll have yet another, another, another friend." Because mm-hmm. I have this thing that's like uh, like Netflix. It's like a friend queue. And if I have too many friends, like, I'll see other friends and be like, well, man, that'd be cool to have a friend with, but I already, you know, have somebody to hang out every night of the week, sometimes twice on Sunday. You know, I just don't have time in my life. But you were so cool that I bumped a couple other people off the list and you made it on the list. As a reason for everything. And you kept climbing up the list, so. Yeah, you were on the top of the list. Day one. (laughs) You're like, I can't believe you bought me a birthday card and you only knew me two weeks. That was the coolest birthday card ever. Man, I know you still got it somewhere because oh, yeah, I saw it. It was uh, from an adult store, I'm sure. It was. It was uh, part of the female anatomy in a beer bottle and it said something like, happy birthday. Something. Something. But I was like, <laughs> wow, this is really cool. And you can't throw a birthday card like that away because it's just the 
Nice picture. Of yeah, it. you know, you yeah. never know when you're going to want to see that. I remember Connie wasn't an easy person to work with at the time. She was going through a lot of stuff. She was going through a lot of stuff, yes. Yes. And she was a very strong, spirited, powerful, controlling, you know, and I know she had to be because... She's a tiny girl and she... Like I said, a kitchen manager Yeah. doesn't do anything, so she had to literally do everything. Mm-hmm. And there was so much pressure on her. Mm-hmm. So I never held it against her and... And I know we had our ups and downs, but that's only because you had your ups and downs. Mm-hmm. So when you had your downs with her, I had to be on your side, so I had to have my downs with her. And it just became ridiculous emotional wreck because, you know, I, I was just <laughs> playing along with, you know, I wanted to be happy with both of you, but yeah. if you're down, then I have to be down with when you're down, I gotta apologize for that because I, I remember literally saying to you, "You're my friend. You're on my side, whether you like it or not." Yeah, yeah. It was like I had to not like her because you didn't like her today, and the next day I liked her. You know, and but I've always liked her. You yeah, know. she's a good girl. I always thought she didn't like me, but I think she did. No, she does. I've talked to her a lot, and she honestly does like you a lot. I always thought she was a really good person. Yeah, I I've always liked her. It was a crazy time back then. A lot of drama. They make shows about, like, hospitals and law firms, but they should make a show just about cooks cooking on the line, you know? She's a cute girl, and I always wanted to boot-scoot boogie with her, too. (laughs) You were not a country line dancer. I got boots, but I don't know how to scoot and boogie, so... But if I would have ever with anyone, it would have been with her, just for the fun of it. Um, It's never too late. I think they're building a country bar now. So, who are, who are some of the people we worked with over the years and funny things that happened at that place? Uh, <laughs> there's so much. Where do you start, right? Dishwashers. Oh, I remember dishwashers. Uh, let's say... <laughs> I know. Okay, it's dishwasher. So, what do we start with dishwashers? I remember the dishwasher. Big, tall guy one time. <laughs> um, the end of the day, of course, as usual... Here I am, <laughs> rotating everything <laughs> from every shift, every day, all the time. Okay, I'm rotating stuff, all the pans. Bringing pan after pan after pan. Elby's like, here's this one, here's that one, here's this one, here's that one. Bringing out a dishwasher, one after another after another. This big dishwasher, he's getting mad. He's getting furious. Elby, what do I do? He's a dishwasher. Keep giving him more. I'm giving him more, and I'm giving him more. And I'm like, here, let me help you. Get out of my way. Don't bring me no more. If you bring me no more, I'll kill you. I think Elby's doing it on purpose. I don't know. You know, I'm just the guy in the middle. I'm pushing more pots and pans over. He's freaking out. He blew his top. Alex Trebek, our general manager. Well, he looked like Alex Trebek, but he wasn't. His name was Mark, and, uh, you know, all oh, this ruckus, come back, he come back there. Oh, my God, pots and pans and flipping garbage cans over, smashing stacks of dishes, <laughs> call the cops, the general manager's coming, waitress is freaking out, dishes, food, garbage <laughs> flying everywhere. Cops are hot pursuit coming on the way. <laughs> this guy's booking out the door. America's most wanted dishwasher, Cape Coral. All because of him. <laughs> Nobody rotated. I got to do it. And I'm the one putting the pots and pans over there. 
He actually threw a big stack of plates at the general manager. Big stack. And they're, and they're 10 like bucks 10 bucks a plate. Yeah, and there's like 20 of them. Oh, at 30. At least. Oh, my right God, at the what guy. a wreck. <laughs> and he's looking over at Never us. Never like, saw them again. That? No. So what did they pl- replace him with? The pinball wizard. <laughs> Dumb, deaf, and blind kid. Sure could play a mean pinball, but... <laughs> he was, Donnie, we need medium plates. <laughs> Donnie, we need large plates. <laughs> Great kid. But he couldn't see or hear. He wore bottle cap glasses he couldn't see through. Had uh, 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 a hearing aids he didn't wear. <laughs> Very slow. <laughs> Great kid, though. Great kid. Oh, my God, Donnie. Uh, he, he insisted, he insisted he smelled like a human being. <laughs> well, he... When wore, I know, he smelled like patchouli oil. He smelled like patchouli oil. <laughs> and uh, that seems to be one of the fragrances that arouses me. Right. Because I had a thing for hippie chicks for a while. Wow, yeah. So he so. would wear the patchouli oil, and I'd be like, damn, Donnie, you smell good. And he'd be like, I don't smell good. I smell like a human being. And get furious about it. Human being. Meanwhile, this deaf, dumb, blind kid with a mustache, maybe he's 50 years old, can't see where he's going, putting the plates like on the wrong part of the kitchen totally. And I'm telling him he's smelling good because he's turning me on because of the smell. It's funny. It was almost like Marco Polo. (laughs) I could be on one side of the line. He'd be on the other side. Donnie. Who's there? Who said that? Who said that? Donnie. (laughs) We did that in a crowd one time. Fourth of July party when they closed the the bridge off. When they have their Fourth of July party. And hundreds of people there. Donnie. What? Who's there? And he'd just keep walking. (laughs) He'd just keep walking. Good kid. Oh man, poor kid. And then they hire. Holy goodness, he he he, he looked like uh, uh, Shemp's twin brother from The Stooges, <laughs> with the greasy hair all over the one side. Eep, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> Always wore high-heeled women's boots. Oh, who is he? I forget. His name was Maximilian. Oh, Maxi. <laughs> Maxi. What's up, Maxi? <laughs> Maxi. Oh, but the dishwasher. That was there the longest and the most was where's my damn scrubby? <laughs> <laughs> Somebody took my scrubby. Frank Greiser. Frank Greiser, who is now my current roommate and one of our best friends. And of one all of time. our best friends. I An know. Amazing man. Yeah. Amazing man. The only man to have ever been cut <laughs> by a spoon. <laughs> by a spoon and butter. And butter. Yeah. Blood everywhere. <laughs> Every day. Every day. What was his famous line? Oh, damn it. Oh. Yep. <laughs> All the time. Every five minutes. Who stole my scrubby? If one of these waitresses stole my scrubby. Never mind. Here it is. <laughs> Where's never my scrubby? Oh, never mind. Never here mind. It here it is. He'd be yelling, Where's here my scrubby? With the scrubby <clears throat> in his hand. Here it is. Wait a minute. Don't scrape that plate off. <laughs> he did. Thank you. Plates. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, pretty bad. Yeah. Him, only him and two other bus boys I ever said, get out of the garbage can. If you're hungry, I'll make you something to eat. <laughs> you know? But it's half a sausage in there. <laughs> Come on. Really? Our other good friend, Carlos from Peru, right? Yeah, hello. Yeah. Buenas His first just... day, he, he was first first job after he moved to the United States, he was eating out of the garbage. Mm, well, He said, in my country, we shoot cats and eat them because there's no food. Right. And you people throw it away. 
Make fuck two monkey and then eat them brains. <laughs> <laughs> but again, a great guy. Right. And it and it and it, it happens. <clears throat> and that's that's just the dishwashers. Yeah. And Frankie was the worst of them all. He would grab meat, put it in his pocket. Two or three days later, wearing the same jeans, I forgot I had that piece of meat in my pocket. <laughs> From three days Cover ago. Cover me while I eat it. Com, com, com. I'll, I'll, I'll take the uh, double quarter pounder <laughs> as we're in line at McDonald's. Uh, Holy smokes. I remember one day we conducted a little experiment. Because mm-hmm. uh, he was a bottomless pit. All our mistakes, he would eat them. And then some. So, and he's has an uncontrollable appetite. Out of control. So one day he's we, an alley cat. We decided Fish, bones and everything. <laughs> we decided to see how much he could eat. Mm-hmm. And every mistake that was made between all the cooks that day, they didn't get distributed between anybody. They all went to Frankie. Mm-hmm. He probably ate what ten, twelve meals in that six <sighs> hours. God, pot roasts, Sandwiches. hamburgers. Uh, quesadillas, mashed potatoes, sausage, Rubens. I mean, I wouldn't believe it. It was one thing after another to the point to where, like, dude, we got to mistake something just to see if he'll eat. Here you go, Frank. Here you go. Here you go, Frankie. Here you go, Frankie. After and after. Well, long story short, he ended up in the hospital. <laughs> Apparently, he ate too much. <laughs> We laugh now, but yeah. Oh my god! He I mean, literally had to have his stomach pumped. <laughs> he ate until he would have. He's like a goldfish, no stomach. He'll just eat till he dies, and he would have. And so I had to drive him to the hospital. I, yeah, I, I said, "What did you? What? Okay, so he got home. What did you do after you got home from the hospital? I ate a bag of peanuts." <laughs> You went to the hospital because you ate too much, so you came home and had a bag of peanuts? Well, I was kind of hungry after that. <laughs> after they pumped his stomach. And, you know, he still eats like that to this day. You should see the lunch I make for this guy. Thank God he don't have a computer and he'll never hear this stuff. And if he would, he will. Yeah, he don't. I, it's all right. What can I say? No, we love the guy. No, we love the it's guy. It's just funny how much he can eat. He's, um, you know, it, it reminds me of an episode of The X-Files. Uh, and I think Albie's got an action figure of it above his television. I can't remember exactly the name of the episode, but he is the human tapeworm. The fluke man, yeah. Fluke man, he yeah. is fluke man. He can eat. He's the human tapeworm. I have eaten ridiculous amounts of food in my time. Oh, sure. But he outdoes me. Oh, yeah, say the least. Great guy. Unbelievable. Okay, who else? Let's see. Uh, some other strange characters we worked with over the years there. Uh, one thing I remember, we instituted a dress code policy, you and me. We made it up ourselves. Oh, this is a good one. This yeah, was yeah, the yeah. Uh, Day Dot Day Dots. T-shirts. Because every if, yeah, if you don't, Day Dot represents a day. Every day represents a color, which is your expiration date. For example, Monday will be blue. Tuesday, yellow. Tuesday, yellow. Wednesday, red. Thursday, Thursday brown. brown. Friday, green. Saturday, orange. Sunday, black. So we had a different color shirt for every day. Oh, and I got ridiculous. I would have, let's say Friday, I'd have the green hat, green bandana, green apron, green shirt. 
Well, I think it all came from two things. We wanted everybody to rotate their food. And also, like, if you wear the black outfit every day, people just assume you're a scumbag and wear the same clothes every single day, like, without every washing single them. Every so we were like, no, we, you know, we wear different clothes every day. We wash them, and they just all happen to be black. But people didn't understand it, so we went with the colors. We did the colors, and even the waitresses got on board, and they're they're they would wear the button-down Oxford shirts. Oh yeah, like Cindy would come in. It's Thursday, so I wear brown. Yep. I'm like, good girl. All right. Yeah, Learned we'd always it. we'd always congratulate them and positive yep. reinforcement, and it was going good for a while. It's fun. It you know, fun. It's, I theme everything. Mm-hmm. When you watch a movie or a TV show, it's fun to wear the T-shirt or, or some garment that represents what you're doing that day or what, what you're watching. Why should it be different for work? You know what's cool? Looking back at like photographs that were taken while we were working, we know what day it was taken on because of that. That's true, too. Oh, we took that photo on a Friday because <laughs> we're all wearing green. Wearing green. Even today, I wore brown because it's Thursday. But yeah. every day I'm a brown coat because brown coats rule. Brown coats do rule. Ask yeah. about your 20% brown coat discount. Yes. At barrenspace.com. That's right. Which is an awesome website. <laughs> Which has links to many more awesome websites, <laughs> such as Bedtime with Bruce. You are wearing your pajamas tonight. I am wearing my pajamas tonight. Bedtime and I have with my Bruce. teddy bear. Bedtimewithbruce.com. Gotta love it. It's always Bedtime with Bruce. I'm I'm the co-host on that one. That's right. It's interesting, but uh, I enjoy the show. You watch the show every Wednesday night at 10 on BedtimeWithBruce.com? I'm always there ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Other people we've worked with, um, we worked with Jimmy. Jimmy. Oh, my goodness. Lovely person. Yeah, we're past dishwashers now, yeah. I think. Jimmy, another kitchen manager. So big. <laughs> and Jimmy, if you were here now listening... I'd make us some microwave popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) Two bags. Because you are an equivalent to two Mexicans. (laughs) Where does that come from? We were in the break room, Um, and there were so many bugs flying around in the break room. For some reason, we were infested. And there were so many bugs because at that time, which was not the only time, the air conditioning broke down. Do you know what it's like working in a kitchen, 350 degree grills, fryers, ovens all over the place, no air conditioning, bugs, hot, sweating. This is horrible working conditions. I can't stand it. Jimmy says, how do you think I feel? I don't know, like two Mexicans? (laughs) (laughs) I felt like a Mexican working in this kitchen. Yeah, he says, you know? Yeah, somebody says, I feel like a Mexican. He's like, how do you think I feel? I feel like a Mexican working in this kitchen with all this heat. He says, how do you think he feels? Like two Mexicans? (laughs) (laughs) He's huge. He was so big, he'd have to walk sideways to come down the line. And there's four feet. He couldn't walk straight on, yeah. Four feet from side to side. He had four foot, two inch hips. On the side, but <laughs> one he, side to side. He picked on you, and you had to, he had you in a headlock one time. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He used to get mad at me. I would pick on him, and I'm like, well, you can't catch me. Yeah, I could outrun the guy. You know, he'd have to turn sideways, come down the line. I could. Well, one day he caught me. <laughs> he got me in a headlock, and he was squeezing hard. Only thing I can think of was to grab his his you know his jewels, his to to escape and squeeze him and get out. For the life of me, I couldn't find him. <laughs> he 
was so much I was looking and feeling, but they weren't to be found. I don't know where they were. They were up there somewhere, probably. But Crazy times. Yeah. Uh, Do you uh, ever get back at them? Oh, I got back at them, yeah. You- I would say a little bit, you know, because Perkins was nasty. Nobody wanted to clean except for me. And, you know, not not everybody. Albie did a good job cleaning as well. But, you know, when you have restaurant full of people, day shift, night shift, year after year, most part, nobody cleaned. We had this nasty-ass oven in the back of the kitchen. It was so nasty that instead of food going in the oven, people would put their rotten shoes and sneakers in there and stuff that they worked with. And, of course, Big Jimmy used to keep his clodhoppers back there. And he'd put them in the oven. And, you know, one day I'm like, you know, this guy, you know, he... This, uh, he, I can't even get into detail how this guy used to get on my nerves all the time. He was, you know, pizza the hut. <laughs> it was horrible to work with sometimes. You know, he, he'd look at me with these googly eyes, big cookie monster. He wasn't very helpful. He wasn't very considerate. So I'm like, you know, at work when you, somebody orders an order of salmon. You grab the bag, you open a bag of salmon, you pull it out. Just like when you get those hot pickled sausage, hot mamas from 7-Eleven and you, you have the hot pickle and you eat it and there's always the juice left in the bottom of the bag. You know, you ooh and you hold it and you drop it, you know, in the garbage. Not this time, man. I took that bag and I squeezed all that salmon juice right in his work shoes. Ooh, <laughs> you talk about stink foot. That big dumbass probably never even knew. He just came into work all the day and and had his salmon sneakers on <laughs> at work. <laughs> Poor guy. You know, one thing I couldn't get about him is he lived, I believed, out in, in uh, <laughs> Matt Lachey. And he lived on a beach, okay, huh. and a house with stilts. <laughs> and his girlfriend was almost 500 pounds, too. You got a 1,000 pounds of a couple and a house full of dogs. On stilts on the beach. Oh my God! <laughs> you ought to come over one day. <laughs> yeah, okay. What yeah, a great guy. No way. Oh my God. Yeah, he, he was an awesome guy. Not really. <laughs> I love the guy. Not at all. He sends me stuff on Facebook. He can sit on my face, but I squish to death. Uh, I don't know. But I don't hate Jimmy. Never hated him. Just. He frustrated. You know what? We all frustrated each other back then. It probably had a lot to do with the heat. But I have nothing personal against him. No, great. Guy. Nothing personal against him. Yeah, I actually took a trip to Orlando with him and his wife to see uh, an really? episode of Raw one time filmed. Yeah, Cindy was nice. Yeah, Cindy was nice. Yeah, and I like Jimmy. I feel bad. And I say stuff with him, but you know, I don't know. It was it was uh, intense. The heat at of the, the moment. Time. Yeah. I couldn't stand the heat, and I didn't get out of the kitchen, and he didn't fit in the kitchen. <laughs> no. <laughs> After him, who did we get as the kitchen manager? I forget. Was that the guy that was on the drugs, or was it the guy that didn't like the mayonnaise? Oh, there's another kitchen manager. <laughs> so they decided to hire a kitchen manager strictly from the hood with the Cadillacs and the Trusenvotos and the and the pop the caps and the asses and the, the whole, you know, this guy was 100% ghetto. Nothing, you know against black people but this guy was just he was ghetto in a good way because i love the ghetto i love good times i love jet jj i grew up in the ghettos 
A young kid they, they gave this job to probably shouldn't have. Very young. Very young in his 20s. Um, very, very out of his element. Yeah. Um, real nice kid, but, you know, he'd be like, in my opinion, you can't smoke a blunt before work. <laughs> go, <laughs> go in the office, sleep for four hours, and go, what I do? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean, what did you do? I did everything. You smoked a blunt and slept in the office. I don't know. Anyway, you know, so I like to have my fun with everybody. And, you know, one of my things was I'd walk around with a spatula <laughs> when I'd rotate, because I was the only one that rotated. Um, mayonnaise. Always go up to somebody. You know what? Ooh, this mayonnaise. I think this mayonnaise smell bad. Does this mayonnaise smell bad? People would actually smell it. And then you smack them in the nose. They'd get mayonnaise on their nose. What dumbasses. Oh, I, one of the funniest time is Maria. Maria, everyone called Connie, but her name's Maria. Oh, no, after the fourth time, I'm never going to falling for this again. Get out of my face. <laughs> I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> you know, I got it like four times. But the kitchen manager was the funniest. When I, you know, I went up to him and I'm like, he's the new kitchen manager. So I figured I'd christen him in. You know, had nothing to do, black or white, where he was really dark. <laughs> At that time. <laughs> so I asked him, I asked him, oh my God, this mayonnaise, I think this mayonnaise smells bad. But unfortunately, I think I hit him too hard because he, oh, this is going to sound prejudiced too. He's got those big nostrils. <laughs> and he really went in for a big black nostril sniff like <laughs> and I, I he went in yeah. so it, anyway he went in I believe he went in for a for a heavy sniff like he his intentions was to really smell this mayonnaise like alright I'm gonna really smell it like this is you know I'm gonna smell it and those nostrils <laughs> and I believe at that point, I might have hit too hard. So the combination of him going in for a good smell and me trying to shove it up his nose, I mean, this mayonnaise, <laughs> might as well have been snorted. He sniffed mayonnaise up his nose. I never seen a brother, a co-worker, so upset. He was very angry. Man, you know a brother hates mayonnaise is exactly what he said. It's true. And I didn't know a brother hated mayonnaise. I had no idea. So not only did he smell it with full intention of smelling and me shoving a little too hard and as dark as he was, <laughs> smelling the mayonnaise. Oh, I just can't put in words, but I think I put too many words. <laughs> I almost got knocked the fuck out. <laughs> you did, yeah. Oh, it, it was that was hilarious. And I've got many people doing that. And I've got Albie. Yes. I've got Cynthia. I've got Frankie. I got God. I can't imagine how many people I got. Larson, forget it. <laughs> Him, I wanted to put in the extra pressure, so I got Larson good. Does it smell bad? Pow! <laughs> 
And what if they don't fall for it? Then what do you ask them? Do you say something to them? Oh, yeah. And then there's time where, ha-ha, I'm not going to fall for that. And then I say, why don't you hold the spatula, smell the mayonnaise? <laughs> oh, okay. And then I wham on their elbow, their elbow, and they hit their own selves in the face with the spatula, and then they're a double dumbass. <laughs> Because they get themselves. These are things we have to do to oh. amuse ourselves because we're oh, delirious from the heat. And how many times have that happened? And there's nothing funnier than getting somebody with the mayonnaise trick, smell this, they do, and I smack them. And then the next time, I go, smell this. And they're like, I'm not going to fall for that. And then I hand them the spatula. <laughs> and they fall for it again. Oh. 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 But only, only I think Maria fell for it three or four times. <laughs> no mind this time. You making me frustration. Well, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Good times. Had some fun times. To be continued. Well, that's going to do it for part one. Hopefully you found this conversation as interesting and entertaining as I did. And uh, if you did, there's two more parts to come. So uh, stay tuned for part two and three of the Johnny G. Weird Jr. Trilogy. And remember, roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. Thank you for joining us for this episode of A Conversation with Albie. Go to barrenspace.com to listen to new installments of this and other great podcasts from Barren Space Productions. Support from listeners like you help keep this podcast operating. You can find a link to donate using PayPal on barrenspace.com. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of A Conversation with Albie, Barren Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. Special thanks to Stephen Norder for web maintenance and ZeroPain.com for providing reliable and painless web service. A Conversation with Albie is edited by Albie. A Conversation with Albie is a Baron Space production, copyright 2012, all rights reserved.